0: probably all be checking in with someone every now and then after we, we imploded in the league last year I wasn't
1: right for yeah. a long time keep up to date with the latest WSL action and the biggest interviews subscribe to the Koi Gig podcast stream on the OTB sports app now
2: OTB
3: AM with Gillette Get into your flow
0: with the new Gillette Labs Razor with Exfoliating Bar. All right, it's Monday, Monday morning. It's Wednesday morning at half past seven. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Why are you laughing? What's that consistent with? Owen's here. How are you getting on? Nathan's here. Morning. Is it? Is it? Is it a morning? Yeah. It is morning. It's a manky, dirty all day in uh, oh. in central Dublin, and I don't know wherever you are in the world, Nathan, in your palace. It says it manky there too, uh,
4: Dublin as well. Uh, manky, dirty all day in Augusta National as well. Jer hurricane weather, and what is it that gonna absolutely miserable? Imagine, imagine flying yesterday. Dream of a lifetime to go to Augusta National. You finally get tickets to the practice round. Tiger Woods has turned up. You get to see him. In all his glory. And then they take everybody off the course because there's lightning and there's a storm coming. And that's the end of that.
0: And was it the end of it? Nothing? No, that was
4: the end, I think, for the patrons, yeah. Right. And the weather forecast for today is uh, not great either. Now, it'll all be fine by tomorrow for uh,
5: for the first tea times, But it's,
4: it's probably going to change the way the course plays. There's been a lot of rain in Georgia, so
5: bring it on. Tiger gets to rest the body for a little bit longer
4: yeah, I don't know if he particularly wants to He wants to get out and play nine holes today And
5: walk the course
4: And uh, test himself a little bit Like he says His game is perfectly fine He can swing the club As well as he could ever swing the club His problem is walking Which is a bit of a concern And Augusta National is quite the walk Hilly it turns out
0: Apparently you can't tell that from the TV <laughs> That's what they say They changed
4: the angle Now you can Oh did they? Remember 3D TV Remember, 3D I do, TV I was remember. going to be the next big thing. That'll come and back. It was going to be perfect for Augusta National. Will it? Uh, it yeah, I, might, I, it think might. I got to wear glasses for. I think.
5: Well, I think I think you know. I think QR codes proved that anybody can
0: make a comeback. Well, uh, I mean, I'm still waiting to see. Like Snapchat had those glasses. That oh yeah, and Facebook had glasses, didn't they? Google yeah, had glasses. Google
5: Glass. Yeah, yeah. None of them made a comeback just yet. No, but what about the Ray Bands that Kenny Cunningham modeled for us on? our OTB gift guy before Christmas they're surely they're destined to make it with they bit digital?
0: Of, they were well, they certainly had a camera installed in them yeah no thanks that's not what's the point we have cameras in our phones yeah it's it, less intrusive to wear this thing which is like obviously heavier than a normal pair of glasses Weighing your head down you're like oh, just hang on a 2nd look at going press the button
5: yeah that's probably the next idea for them just get Tiger to wear a pair of those glasses and watch it through his view his Augusta experience it's not a bad idea you could work a in GoPro t- on his head.
0: You could work in TV. <laughs> hey. <laughs> uh, a call back to Owen's moment of breakout celebrity before he became a YouTuber in Japan.
5: Yeah. Yeah, those were the days. When did
0: you have a, U- a GoPro on your head? Oh, you didn't know the joke?
5: No.
4: Oh. oh, I
0: didn't even know what you were talking about, to be quite honest with you. Oh, really? <laughs>
4: <laughs> so I would say to you, the audience definitely don't know. Wow,
0: I'm living in my own head at the moment. I, 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 did, um, I did make a, a mistake, a significant boo-boo in our, uh, my pre-show conversation with Owen. That's why he was pissing himself laughing when I got the day of the week wrong. Uh, and I was pointing out that since I had COVID, my brain has basically been fried. It's, I'm blaming it. There are probably many other multiple factors that might have caused the slowdown in my cognitive abilities, but I would definitely say post-COVID I have not been the same.
5: Uh, yeah, in in your own opinion. I mean, many people out there would say, well, you know, it's the same old person. I,
0: was, I, was, I wasn't, I wasn't asking you, you for made. your judgement on what I was just saying. I was hoping you are going to say, yeah, I feel the same since I got COVID, but actually, okay, fair enough. Uh, Owen had a joke about a GoPro and Big Sam and a pint of wine that went viral. It was his first brush with... I well, don't know. Uh, Thank, thanks he very much. should explain much. the joke now, because jokes three years after they are first made, I find that if you explain them in detail, they only get funnier.
5: So knew? <laughs> yeah, like the, the Daily Telegraph hidden operation. <laughs> uh, I uh, made a joke that it was a GoPro on a hedge because it wasn't, because it was a hidden <laughs> camera, remember? <laughs> that was so funny. Right,
0: right 7.34 matters. this morning, we're going to restart the show. You're very welcome along. It's a horrible, dirty day in Dublin, wherever you are you're in the world, you're very welcome. Actually, tell us, if you are somewhere sunny watching us this morning uh, casting your YouTube to your telly as a lot of you do then please let us know um, or if it's even anywhere better than it is here we'd also love to hear from you brighten our day hashtag OTB AM Nathan Murphy's going to join us now Keith Wood's going to join us in studio 10 past 8 sports pages with John Duggan at um, and sorry, our Masters preview and uh, this week's version of Virtual Insanity which is a super long version of Virtual Insanity Is coming after that and plenty more as well between now and Roosh Littlejohn is uh, on call this week. Um, uh, as I said, virtual Saturday. Phil's going to join us at twenty past nine to talk some football, and Tommy Walsh at half past nine looking back on the league final. Before we get into last night's football, and before we get into the uh, golf, we should talk about the fact that it looks like me they're going to be the latest uh, football team to send loads of players to the AFLW. And the Meath manager is not particularly happy about this, Owen. He thinks the game isn't really that good.
5: Yeah, it's been printed on a a couple of the back pages this morning. Uh, Let's just get the exact comments from you here. The Irish Daily Mail, for example, goes with the headline, Meath face losing Star Wall to dreadful AFLW. (coughs) This is not a surprise, really, that Vicky Wall is going to be travelling to Australia later this year. Obviously, just had this sensational breakout year last year for me. as the one the All Ireland almost certain they say to travel to Australia on an AFLW contract you're also going to have her teammate Emmett Duggan on target for an Australia move and Eamon Murray has been speaking he says of course that's going to happen I'd say we're losing Vicky now in September and I don't know how many more we'll lose I don't know why you'd want to play that sport because it's dreadful stuff to watch there's no skill at all so Eamon Murray probably the, the first dissenting voice when it comes to the migration of players and plenty of, have made this move from Ireland to Australia for the off-season months uh, and attacking the sport itself as as much as anything else. Because when you see those comments, it's like, oh, there's going to be a clash here where GEA managers aren't happy. But no, he's saying that the sport is just bad and I don't know why you would want to play it. I think it's pretty obvious why you would want to play it. Because you live in a better climate and you get paid to do it. Well, exactly. But is it is it dreadful to watch? Like, I mean, each to their own, I guess. But I think uh, Aussie rules is is a pretty, a pretty good sport
0: like I mean we, we quite often say how can we make GEA better let's make it more like Aussie rules I, I don't think we should be going down the Aussie rules direction I find Aussie rules kind of um, less interesting than Gaelic football significantly less interesting than Gaelic football I wouldn't say significantly I, I would obviously find it less interesting but uh, I, I still think it's
5: it's very very watchable
4: well I think one of the reasons it's watchable is the way it's packaged up and even uh, here with the women's AFL uh, the coverage you can get on TV you see the best bits all the time it's very accessible but I I don't understand what the criticism here, even if the sport is rubbish. Like, is is there well, a was trend that, that it, players return from Australia well, and they are lesser Gaelic
0: footballers? Well, it's funny you say that. It's funny you say that because he's got a view on that as well. If any of you check, the players coming back, the Sinead Goldricks or the Lauren McGees or any of them, they don't exactly set the world on fire when they come back over here. They're not going to win the championship for any team. They keep saying, oh, we're going out here and it's professional and we're training seven days a week. How much training do you want, like, you know? You certainly won't improve your skills over there. I'm not bitter about it. Far from it. It's great to have a country like that, that the girls can spend a few years over there and enjoy that year or two and come back. So Sinead Goldick and Laura McGee are like, well, What? what's we mean to you? But uh, next time they meet in the championship, which isn't going to be that far away... That's got to be an interesting clash. Yeah. This is so good. Wonder,
4: wonder, is is Murray saying that uh, Sinead Goldrick going to Australia was one of the reasons that Mead were able to win in All-Ireland last year at this? You're saying that, David
0: You're putting those words in, in, in his mouth, but certainly if you're Mick Bowen, you just, you just put a little call into the two of them this morning going, no, just in case, in case none of your friends uh, showed you this. Have you seen this? Mm. What do you think of that? What do, you, what do you think of that?
5: Yeah. Well, if you're under receiving end of that phone call, you're looking around at the environment around you, and like I'm pretty happy here. Or and also you're like, okay, I'll be angry when I get home. But uh for now, this is this is a pretty good setup. Like it, uh, there, there could be truth in what he's saying. Like a pattern might emerge over the next little while where the teams who have most AFLW players are lessening in their their ability to contend. Like the, you are missing a huge part of the league. And I mean, we've been open arms about the Dubs potentially being finished because of
0: their league form in, in the men's football. And you're coming back and you're swanning into the team, you know. Without where, where somebody has actually been in the team while you've been away, building up patterns of play, tactical analysis, all the kind of stuff that you're supposed to do while you're with the team. So it's a it's a, it's a, it's a balancing act, to be sure. This is, this is good stuff. I like this. Or you're coming back and you're a bit wrecked, obviously. Which is, Both.
4: I'm sure, the biggest issue that, you know, you've been relentlessly playing, you haven't been building up towards championship, you've already had your championship, and now you're trying to peak for a second time. There's also the worry that, you don't come back at all. Like all of our uh, you know, family members and ancestors who have departed for Australia you know to go for three months but like Scruffy Murphy's a bit too much and we're never
0: seen again. A lot of spiders so, down there Nathan. A lot of spiders and snakes. So it's a, I, the most um, poisonous part of the world. Oh, say, is that a metaphor for the players who stab their own county in the back? <laughs> and spiders not snakes.
4: Well listen Ushin o- o- Mullen knew which side his bread was buttered. Uh, but Aileen Gilroy <laughs> is uh, not uh, coming back. Ashley McCarthy I think uh, obviously a huge player for Tipperary, it seems, isn't coming back. So you know, players are, are going and staying and enjoying the life over there. But Gaelic football is an amateur sport. If people want to go and make decisions that are for the betterment of their lifestyle and their future, and they feel that that lies more in Australia, you
0: can't blame them. Well, you can't blame them, but you can certainly complain about them in the papers.
1: hmm
5: uh, yeah, it's, like it's true. As I said, like it's going to be very, very interesting to see what happens when when Dublin and me, in particular, do up, come up against each other in the championship later this year. Because full
0: on thirty man brawl. Yeah, hopefully.
5: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it, like I mean what Emma Murray is saying is, is definitely kind of uh, it, like it, it,
0: it's really interesting because he's been asked about it in the context of his own players I don't think the game's that good I, n- I never really enjoyed Aussie rules I have to say I think Gaelic football is a far superior sport a far superior sport and we keep doing this like oh let's let's steal the mark let's do that it's like no that, that sport that sport does not make that much sense but it, the point it, isn't about the quality of the sport but it is, sure. it is sorry that's exactly he's saying it's a dreadful game he's saying it's a dreadful game that's says there's no but skill but it's a
4: dreadful game that pays their players
0: yeah but look paying the, I don't think anybody begrudges the players getting paid I don't think Game Murray begrudges the players getting paid I'm like you know
4: but that's it, what they're going they're not going down for, and to be full time professional athletes they're not going down for the joy of playing AFL because they're sitting at home going God it seems a kind of joyless Gaelic football
0: out there <laughs> yeah the, I think the game itself is, is pretty joyless compared to Gaelic football uh, much more crack playing Gaelic football
1: yeah
5: yeah, uh, Let's
0: well, take a I'm
1: stop. Sure. Let's have sure another stop that. and play.
0: Let's have another stop and play. Let's have a set play. Another set play. It's like it's American football without, without any of the skill. Gaelic games had, had been joyless for a while. It feels like the joy is coming back into the yeah, universe at the moment. Much better. Although Martin Braney doesn't think so, which we can get to a little bit later on if you want. It's 7.41 this morning. We should talk about the football last night. Um, basically everything we predicted. A two-goal win for Liverpool. A routine enough away win. And a close, tight game for Manchester City but they came through. I'm not fully confident Man City are going through in the two legs just yet but I'm 100% confident Nathan that Liverpool are home and hosed. Uh,
4: That third goal certainly seemed to seal it for them. They were impressive last night. I thought Trent Alexander Arnold was outstanding. The talent this guy has, the range of passing at 23 the pass for the second goal for Luis Diaz he set up Mo Salah with the first time ball from deep inside his own half, straight over the top, almost felt like it had a bit of backspin on it. Uh, Salah didn't take the chance, uh, missed quite a few chances. But like Trent Alexander Arnold has sort of reimagined what that position is, uh, not just for Liverpool, but for, for right backs in general. He is Salah would win football of the year, but you know, Alexander Arnold has got to be right up there behind him.
0: Salah's a little bit of a blip at the moment. I mean, by his standards, no goal in six games, is it now? Um, uh, that's something that actually allows Trent to nip in. And steal the awards If they win everything If
4: if And listen The next uh, week or 2 We'll decide all that And it's not the best time For Mo Salah To be having that little dip When your next run of games Is Manchester City At the Etihad Benfica second leg Manchester City Manchester United Everton But Salah goes through These spells every so often And even last night His control seemed to Let him down a lot it, That chance That Alexander-Arnold Sent him in behind like Every day of the week You expect Mo Salah To finish that So Maybe there is the tiredness, maybe there is the upset, which is understandable of missing out in the AFCON and on the World Cup Finals. But generally in the biggest games, and the biggest games are coming up, that is where Salah always delivers, where he always gets his goals. So he wouldn't be in any way shocked if he broke that duck at the weekend. But Liverpool were good again. Like the big difference with Liverpool at the moment is the strength and depth. You look at that bench that they had last night, and they have backup in pretty much every position whether you know Joe Gomez who filled in for Alexander-Arnold at the weekend at right back uh, Joel Matip was left among the substitutes last night uh, Chimicass has done a good job at left back did all sorts of options in midfield Henderson was left on the bench Milner's there Oxlade-Chamberlain Minamino and then they've Jota and Firmino as attacking substitutes so from the position where at Christmas we were looking at Liverpool compared to Manchester City saying do they have a squad for a run like this like for a run like this in the space of two weeks where you're playing five season defining games you can leave out Jota and Henderson and Matip last night and there's no real dip at all. In fact, the players who come in in, Chieta had a really strong game last night. You
0: don't night. want Oxide chamberlain and Minamino being key players over the next four or five weeks, though. You don't really. No, but you, They're you, not good enough. But,
4: but you can play them in the second leg against Benfica when you've got a two-goal advantage and not That's already fair. worry about it. So I think it was straightforward. Benfica, uh, listening to the BT commentary, Stephen McManaman had watched a lot of Benfica Uh, this season uh, was saying how generally they're an awful lot more aggressive than they were in the first half last night they really set off Liverpool probably showed them a little bit too respect Liverpool took full advantage there was half an hour where Benfica got the goal Canata made a bad mistake crowd is up their backs are up and you felt that maybe there was an opportunity because of the way the Champions League always works as you say at Manchester City you just get caught somehow in the second leg but I think third goal killed it off
5: yeah, that Nunez chance at 2-1 down, if he doesn't go down in the box, he actually turns that into an effort. It could be a, a different story, but it's about seeing it out. Like You'd have to say that that depth conversation has flipped in Liverpool's favour. That's not to say that Manchester City's depth is non-existent. It's excellent as well, but you'd have to say that Liverpool slightly edged him at the moment when it comes to your 15, 16 men.
4: Well, there was no kids on Liverpool's bench last night compared to Manchester City's where... You know, they had Egan Riley and Mbappe Tabu, you know, two players you're never going to use in a Champions League quarterfinal, semi-final. Now, if they did a Phil Foden and Jack Grealish on the bench, who are two absolute game changers, as Foden showed last night. They're obviously just resting Foden up for, for the Liverpool match on Sunday. So, yeah, Liverpool have that sort of depth where you can rotate your midfielders. Do they know what their best midfield is? Is he 100% sure? He's quite happy rotating the front three constantly now. Uh, but City, when you have Grealish and Foden, and like, who are you taking out of that front three, midfield three? Uh, that lessons have been anyway. I still think they have the top top quality of two players who can make an impact off the bench. Always Jesus was on the bench yeah. last night. Uh, maybe Ruben Diaz somehow squeezes back for the weekend, which would be geez, huge for them. Uh, even though Laporte has arguably been their best centre half this season, but it was the one thing I thought coming off last night watching City was. It's just looking at their everything that's happened to them over the recent seasons in the Champions League. Going to Madrid for the second leg. Oh, you just get stung. Somehow you get stung. Last couple of minutes. And then all the questions come up again.
0: Yeah, I'm not I'm not convinced that they're they're home and hoes at all. I think that that's uh, very much on a knife edge at this stage. And I thought that uh, Atletico played really well compared to some of the stuff that we would have expected from them eight, nine weeks ago. Before the Man United games. They weren't in a great run of form, and uh, that seems to have been some kind of a turning point for them.
5: Mm. It, like it was this sort of grim art form, wasn't it, the first half, where literally nothing happened. Uh, Atletico with their
0: two banks of five. I was watching the BT commentary, and they're like 10 minutes in, oh, this has been an excellent start from Man City. I'm like, no, it hasn't. Nothing, this is exactly happened. what happened. This is, you, you feel like you're in the game. But you're not in the game. You're having like headers from corners that are going way over. It's like, oh, this is a great chance. like, no, no. No, this is, has this is nil all, written all over it. And wasn't there like an, an artsy movie done of the Empire State Building
5: in the 60s where it was like three hours long and it was just a still image basically of the Empire State Building and everyone was like, this is amazing, this is high, high art. Uh, but it's not and that's not what the first half was yesterday it was Atletico just completely digging in and doing it really successfully to the point where you thought they're going to break once here and get one big chance it wasn't even a half chance that the opportunity they had in the 50th minute I think it was Llorente, well, which, which didn't even go down as a
0: shot Well the the Griezmann with his shit pass that actually ended up being a throw in uh, yeah. when he was he just didn't, didn't have the pace anymore uh, there was a Man City corner was this in the first half? I think it was in the first half uh, there was a Man City corner like the ball squirts past Gundogan and, and it's basically a 75-yard sprint for Griezmann who just couldn't carry it off and he looks over to his, his left and actually... Shins the ball over the uh, sideline.
5: Yeah, like I don't think that uh, some. If you're looking at Google, maybe they, some of the stats said that they had no shot at all yesterday at Atletico Madrid. And certainly, when it comes to not having a shot in the first half, it's the first time since 0-3-0-4 that they failed to attempt a, a shot in, a, in the first half of a Champions League tie. So, even by Atletico standards, this was a, a particularly robust defensive effort, especially in that first half. The premeditated nature of making three substitutes on the hour mark probably speaks to that as well. But Kevin De Bruyne is the person you want to be in those positions and and maybe Phil Foden proved that as well when he came on last night that they are the people who can unpick the lock and maybe they've learned a lot about last night as well before they go to to the Wanda
4: I think the goal makes a big difference though when you look at what Atletico Madrid tried to do last night if they were to try and repeat that at home like they did have maybe even three or four opportunities where City had pressed so high up the pitch that one right pass at the right time and you're in behind City won't need to press as high they won't be as desperate to get a goal because they know they have that so maybe Atletico Madrid on the counter-attack won't have as many opportunities but like Atletico Madrid are used to playing these type of games you said they know exactly what they're about as watching both games and all the online analysis was this is an utterly dominant performance for Manchester City mm-hmm. first half.
2: but
1: like everybody
4: what? knew it was going to be an utterly dominant to performance to what end like, yeah this is what Atletico Madrid wanted let them have the ball if you're good enough show it if you're good enough to score two or three goals against two bags of five show it but they couldn't do it so yeah, I, I'd i say Pep Guardiola will be sweating
5: ahead of that second leg We had Graham Hunter on yesterday and he was talking about Diego Simeone being an incredibly superstitious man I hadn't quite realised the level of the superstition obviously things went quite well for them in their last trip to Manchester got over Manchester United he copied every detail this is according to El Gito, so uh, I hope this is on the money uh, he copied every detail from the Manchester United trip for the trip to Manchester City both flights left Madrid at half past eleven the same bus the same hotel the same hour for the press conference with Marcus Lorente doing the press conference again and training at the exact same hour so uh, that's the, the level of regimen that we've uh, got from Simeone and there's definitely going to be a bit of a twist in the, the second leg it's just an early goal for Manchester City it's going to be the thing that may score for them
0: he has spies as well in the Manchester City camp which allowed him to wear exactly the same clothes as Pep Guardiola last yeah. night same shoes same trousers <laughs> same coat Like it is, it is the exact same coat yeah and I mean they're very rich men who both have like sponsorship deals with designers and they end up wearing that's very embarrassing yeah and apparently Martin Kiona's was wearing the, a
5: similar jacket oh, as well is as he? As it came up in commentary um, uh, are these the, the, the code is the new version of the pundit shoes yes the pundit shoes of course uh, the Sunday game had taken the pundit shoes to a very kind of uniform level hadn't it whether well, they're all the same. Yeah, well, they're all, they're all well, Benetti Matt, Matt, or whoever. Every yeah. English,
4: every English uh, football pundit, uh, yeah, the on white sole day or Sky, the white sole shoes.
5: Yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's a bit different to the Sunday game one, which is kind of more of the the suede shoe, the brown suede shoe. That's different. That's how you know your sports from one another. 750- be a good man now
4: for an Al Benetti, Benetti ambassador, wouldn't
5: he? Who? He'd be, pet. Oh, he'd be all over that. Martin Keown. No, you. Oh, sorry. Get the Benetti. Get the Benetti. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. Hit, okay. hit me up, Benetti.
0: Maybe they can get you in in Clover. That will get you into Bergain. <laughs> <laughs> Seven fifty-two this morning here on OTBM. OTBM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. It's competition time. Dublin street artist Aix has teamed up with EA Sports FIFA to design an exclusive Dublin City kit for FIFA twenty twenty two. The kit with features uh, bright visuals, graffiti style effects, and his individual tag will be available in FIFA Ultimate Team from April the 4th to celebrate its release. We want to give one lucky fan a limited edition Aix City kit jersey designed by Aix along with a copy of FIFA 2022. All you have to do is go to the Off The Ball TikTok comment on that recent video any recent video with the the, you need the code word Pirlo so we can search for it P-I-R-L-O he was a footballer ask your dad Make sure you follow us, too, so we can message you if you're the lucky winner of that brilliant FIFA 2022 prize. Otherwise, we can't tell you that you've won if you don't follow us, so make sure you follow us. Um, That's kind of the whole point of the competition. 7.53 this morning, and we should talk about the golf, Nathan. You haven't been to the Masters, have you?
4: No. No. Someday. Like, everybody else has never been to the Masters. And the more previews you listen to, the more envious you become of those who have been. Marky Clerkin was on Golf Weekly last week talking about his trips in, I think it was nine and 2010. And the incredible thing about the Masters is it looks sensational on TV. It looks like this special place where it's just so pristine. And then everyone who's ever been says, that's oh, actually better in person. It is better.
5: It's Disneyland.
4: Person. Except not as many people get to go.
5: Well, yeah. Well, like, I mean, do, do you subscribe to the the, the sort of murky uh, legends that surround Augusta National, like spray painting? The, the grass to give it that extra tint on TV.
0: Well, what's wrong with that? I'm just just wondering, just wondering if if, if you kind of accept that every GA groundsman in the country is like shut up on. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say every greenkeeper in the country like,
4: what do you think we do with all the divots? Any time our course is going to be on TV, we spray paint them green. Uh, listen, there's a lot of murky stuff in the history of Augusta National, but when it comes to 24 hours away from the opening tea time, uh, yeah, it's probably. It is one of the best days of the year—the uh, opening day of the Masters—and the scenes over the last couple of days have just been insane around Tiger Woods. Like this has not been a Master so far; it has been the Tiger Woods show. And that line that is rolled out again and again about you know, Tiger doesn't move the needle—Tiger is the needle. It has never been more in evidence than this week. You look online; we were doing our Golf Weekly preview yesterday, and it was up on Monday night. Trying to do various bits of research, most press conferences—you go on any of the American golf websites, all you can find is wall-to-wall Tiger Woods. Every minute of his day, tracked, every bit of history, every great victory is there, and nobody else matters, which may work perfectly into their hands. Scotty Scheffler. Scotty Scheffler is the world number one, guys. He's the world number one uh, going into this tournament. Nobody bothers me this week. Nobody gives a damn about me this week because I'm not Tiger Woods.
0: I did see some Rory press conferences and some some Rory stuff. Is that just that we're getting it in the Irish media because there's more interest in it? Or is he still, uh, you know, adjacent to abutting the needle?
4: Oh, I, I think he's a distant number two to Tiger. There's always going to be an interest in Rory because no. our entire conversation around Rory McIlroy changes dramatically. If he was to turn up this week and win because he has won the career Grand Slam. Uh, something no european has ever done everything that's gone on over the last eight years and his struggles in majors and the question marks that have been there are instantly forgotten if he turns up at augusta this week and wins the tournament and wins that career grand slam and a fifth major title now he's probably never come into a major in worse form in a more low-key manner like nothing has really happened from this year he's driving the ball quite well but his approach play has been atrocious. And last week he missed a cut in Texas. And there's any amount of footage of McElroy middle of the fairway, you know, 140, 150 yards away from the green. And his next shot is in a part of the course that wasn't even on screen when you were looking down at the, at the at the shot. So that's been his biggest issue. You know, around the greens, chipping is really good. Putting isn't that big an issue around Augusta because it's all about experience. It's a difficult place to put for anybody. And is not the greatest putter in the world, but he has so much experience. Like This is his 14th time playing at the Masters. Sergio won it on his 19th appearance, but it's very rare for somebody to play this often at the Masters and get your first victory. So a lot of the stats go against Rory. I think if he wasn't in such poor form, if he's shown anything over the last four or five weeks, when you look at that weather forecast, the amount of rain that's been due to fall, Ordinarily, we would say this is prime Rory McElroy conditions. So maybe with Tiger taking all the headlines, maybe with Rory not having to do 50 interviews talking about the career Grand Slam, maybe just maybe he can rock up this week and he can get his approach play in order and he can put well and he can pull off what it feels like will be a bit of a shock at this stage. Yeah, it'd be but huge, I don't see
0: it. It'd be a huge shock, really. Like that's that we're we're not at the level here where we're talking about him as a contender like genuinely where we think that's going to happen. It's more uh, you would be hopeful for him that something good can happen, but there's no evidence. But he has the
4: talent. He has the talent and he knows how to play this course. Like He know, he has shot very low numbers around this course all the time. So that isn't an issue. If we still don't know what would happen you know, if he was in contention in the back nine on a Sunday because he just hasn't been there since You know, he found that house off the 10th uh, back in 2011. Like he hasn't been in contention on the back nine. He played in the final pairing with Patrick Reed, was it, back in 2018. And he was sort of gone within, well, even a couple of holes mentally, I think he was gone. But he was gone out of contention by the time they hit the back nine. So he, you'd love him to be there. It is electrifying when McElroy's in contention because if he gets in contention, he is playing well. He is back to his very best. But it's hard to make a case based on what we've seen from him so far this year.
0: Uh, what is the prospect of Tiger doing anything like is Tiger making the cut a a huge like that would be the story really if Tiger can make the cut or I mean he says he's there to win and that's the back page headline and he can't say anything else because that's the whole point of of his uh, incredibly aggressive competitive nature but there's no way he can come back from not having played any golf is there?
4: There's no way Tiger Woods can win this. Like, it goes without question. It is the greatest story in the history of all sport if Tiger Woods was to rock up here this week and win the Masters. So he said in his press conference...
0: Until Mayo wins yes, Sam this year, obviously, but go on.
4: Obviously, obviously. He'll have a few months of glory before uh, Mayo steal in there. You know, ask, do you believe I can win? I do. And that is the headline. But then as he spoke in his press conference about what he's gone through over the past year, like, three months in a hospital bed... Now, they transferred the hospital bed to his front room at one stage, but he still couldn't get out of it. So this time, three months ago, he was still stuck in his hospital bed with a leg broken in two places, had smashed up his ankle, all sorts of other injuries. And I remember when that accident happened in February 2021, the night before he was on TV at the Genesis, where he wasn't in a good way at all. And the reason he wasn't in a good way was because he just had back surgery for the fifth time. So there were already concerns even then as to whether Tiger could get anywhere near where he was in 2019. He looked like he was really suffering. He was struggling out on the golf course. So to go from a place where his body is absolutely battered and bruised, and he says he can swing the club and he says the swing is in good shape and he can hit the ball the way he wants to hit the ball, he admitted that his issue this week is walking. And <laughs> Augusta National is a tough walk. Brooks Koepka went to Augusta over the last couple of years, and he's had his own Uh, knee injuries and leg injuries and said how difficult it was trying to get around the place. Like Even the fit young players really feel it, the the, uh, intensity of having to get around and the pressure and just walking the course. So I cannot see any way that Tiger Woods turns up and wins this week. I think if he makes the cut, it's an unbelievable achievement to not having played golf in well over a year going on almost 18 months at this. They should not have played any golf and to come up and win the biggest tournament in all of the sport for a sixth time with all the pressure. The more you talk about it, the the more you would love it to happen. But comparisons to to 2019, Tiger Woods was one of the best players in the world when he won in 2019. In the previous eight months, he could have won the open, could have won the USPGA. He won the tour championship. He was back. He was fully back. Then he was playing on a regular basis. it's impossible to sit here and say that Tiger Woods can turn up and win. But, but, he knows the course inside out. Yeah, if he One makes a cut, I would we'll be excited. He can manage his yeah. way around. And maybe he can just hang around. Like, that will be his aim is hang around.
0: See what happens. Maybe you
4: somehow make the cut. Maybe you go into a Sunday three, four shots behind. The momentum that builds behind them suddenly it becomes too much for the other contenders, as it did in 2019 as they, one after one, went into the water on 12. Yeah. Maybe that allows them in. But I think if Tiger comes and shoots, even 74, 74, and he makes a cut or misses a cut by a couple of shots, it's still huge for him to get here. And the one thing I would say is, like, Tiger has been humiliated on the golf course many times over the past decade. He shot an 85 at Memorial. He shot an 82 at Phoenix in, in 2015 when he was struggling with injury. I remember he could barely bend over to pick up his tee week after week you see him in the parking lot after a first round having to pull out of the tournament so he's never had an issue of oh well I have to turn up here and be able to win he wants to get out and compete he wants to be in playing tournament golf so there's every possibility that happens that he turns up and it's too you know, soon. shoots 79-80 it is too soon yeah. he ends up pulling out of first round and it's not going to tarnish his legacy in any way
0: no I don't, I, I think um, he did other stuff and he got away with it so it's fine his legacy is probably secure at this point uh, playing golf while injured is not going to in any way um, be something that anybody has as a negative towards him uh, Mark has been in touch to say I'm watching in Manchester airport departures after being at the Etihad for City's hard fought 1-0 win last night excellent patience from City and superb play from Foden for the goal I think we will score there maybe maybe you just know that Atletico Madrid are going to ratchet up all of the dark arts and it'll be interesting to see exactly how well that works for them Ray says them Atletico players were not happy with Grealish getting that Gucci deal they certainly um, they were preying on Jack Grealish when he came off the bench last night I thought he did pretty well With like, what was Pep doing like pushing him out of the way and get out of it it's like shut up Pep yeah. shut up <sighs> shut up you
5: I, mean well, no, I, I think I think was in a, the, the Porto game earlier in the season with Atletico where they managed to completely get into the heads of of those Porto players and But Jack
0: Grealish uh, has had his whole career being kicked by everybody. Yeah. He knows exactly what the game is here. He doesn't need Pep
5: Given it the big one I know but like you're his manager I mean, you, you can't, you can't but be safe in those situations especially when
0: you're protecting a one goal lead nah. Mark says Liverpool have the biggest and best squad in the league they have seven forwards um, Kenny the Dad says morning lads from a rainy London town so it's uh, rainy general all over these islands at the moment and MOC says it's a lifestyle decision to play in Australia nothing else also Rory has no chance he can't put it is definitely a lifestyle decision to play in Australia that's the, the key point we're going to talk about um, tonight's games in more detail with Phil a little bit later on but is there anything you want to say about uh, Thomas Tuchel and the job he's doing, he's got Real Madrid tonight this would be, I mean he's already won a Champions League so you could say that's pretty much the crowning glory of his career so far but pulling it out against Real Madrid over these two legs under the circumstances at the moment with everything that's going on at Chelsea coming off a pretty horrific performance of the weekend against Brentford, that would be good management Nathan?
4: It would, uh, though you would worry it's following the old familiar pattern that we probably all predicted uh, for Thomas Tuchel and Chelsea where They've a flatline a little bit towards the end of the season. He's under insane pressure, under new ownership at the start of next season. And come October, come on down next Chelsea manager. Who's hitting? Come back in for four months and save us. Rafa Benitez, will we go there again? No. We've that, no money left anymore. We really need to
0: go and do that. That year has passed. That's not going to happen. They're going to give Tuchel a job. The, the new owner should definitely come in and say, right, Tuchel, you're our guy for the next couple of years no matter what happens here. The young squad, yeah. sell a couple of the, the duds, get as much money as you can for Lukaku and keep building. Uh, last one for you then who else are you watching out for at the Masters?
4: Who else am I watching out for at the Masters? Uh, Justin Thomas is the one I think who is going to win the Masters he is one of the best iron players in the game he's got a brilliant short game Uh, like a lot of them maybe not the greatest putter but he's playing at Augusta for the seventh time Uh, generally plays well around here so he's in good form this season uh, at Riviera at the players he has Bones on the bag, who was Phil Mickelson's caddy for three Masters victories, so could be a huge influence as well. And I think Justin Thomas is one of those elite players in the game. Though so the more I was looking at it, the more I'm thinking, why am I not going for John Ram? Why not just John Ram? And he should I a pick the second favorite
0: or form. the the favorite? That's Nathan's sitting well, uh, well, here. Will I pick it, the best uh, golfer or the second best golfer here.
4: Well, I'm going to go out or and do him. You pick the guy who's going to win. Uh, John Ram, I would love to see win. He's lacking a bit of form. He's been struggling with a short game over the past while, but he's as good as he gets off the tee. He always plays well at Augusta. And what's sort of been playing in my mind is an interview yesterday. We were talking about tapering down for the Masters. So I do wonder if the Masters has always been thinking about, actually, for the last couple of months. And he's been working on his Masters game at other tournaments and maybe not concentrating fully on them. Obviously, Spaniards have this unbelievable record. At the Masters, Seve and Olive won it twice, Sergio won it. Uh, not getting any help from Tiger Woods, though. Poor old John Ram. I don't know if you saw this during his press conference. It was kind of hard to make out uh, whether or not he was joking or whether he was deadly serious. Uh, so he was asked about Tiger being back and if he ever you know, got to pick Tiger's brains and get a little bit of information. And he said, oh, well, I think there's only one man he can ask about that. You know, Justin Thomas is... You know, Tiger's best buddy and he's the only one who ever gets anything good out of Tiger. Oh, I remember playing around with him and uh asking him about a certain type of green, he's like, Oh, you just gotta you know you just gotta just gotta go with the flow. And he's like, Oh, thanks, thanks, thanks for that, Tiger. And then I played with him another time down in the Bahamas and I was asking him about sort of chipping technique and playing at a certain bent grass greens and Tiger just said, Oh, you gotta be shallow, John. I was like, Oh, thanks, Tiger. And then I look around and he's giving Justin Thomas a full dissertation on how you do this thing. Uh, But it was definitely said with a tone of Why is he the golden boy And uh, I'm not the golden boy So uh, Maybe there's a bit of beef there You would love to see some John Ram Uh, My my other ones, Jordan Speed Come on, Jordan (sighs) Speed He played okay. unbelievably well this on a Sunday. Good,
0: this is a good time to bring this comment in. No, come on, lads. No golf coverage, please. They have a podcast devoted to this nonsense. <laughs> Keep it there with the rest of the degenerates. We didn't We didn't make that up. That's a real comment. And no, as soon enough. as you mentioned Jordan Spieth, I think, boom, Aww. that's the precise moment to I, cut him off. I got a lot of... Kill lo- his line, kill his mic. Got, got a lot of um, Golf
5: Weekly love from a particular Ross Common fan after the game on Sunday, Nathan. So big up oh, to, yeah. to, to you. and Congratulations to you, the, the cross. One subscriber divide. anyway. Yeah. I'll
4: give you my two outsiders then. Wacky Neiman. Wacky Neiman.
5: We didn't ask you for them. Go on, quick. All right.
4: Well, so you were giving out the. Top. I'm putting your mic. Literally, I'm putting. we were supposed to finish it three you, minutes ago. You listen. You were giving out. I was only talking about the top two. I like Wacky mm-hmm. Neiman, and I like Adam Scott.
0: All right. Wacky Neiman, Adam Scott, and the rest of his um, bets all available for you if you subscribe. Uh, to golf weekly, patreon.com forward slash golf weekly, OTB sports dot com forward slash golf weekly, you'll get it there. And uh, if you just follow Nathan on social media, that's all he ever talks about. Nathan, good stuff. Enjoy the Masters thanks lads the Koi Gig Pod on OTB Sports is in association with Cadbury FC official snack partner to the women's national team the business end of the season is fast approaching in the WSL with only a month of fixtures remaining on this week's Koi Gig Pod Karen Duggan broke down why she thinks Chelsea will come out on top but Ruth Fahey isn't so sure during the break you're going to hear a taste of this week's episode Keith Wood is with us in studio next OTB AM it's uh, 11 minutes past 8 this morning here on OTB AM and what's rare is wonderful Keith Wood is with us in studio Keith welcome back
2: it's kind of cool, actually, to be back in here. Yeah. yeah. It's great. Um, it's almost like we're coming out
0: of a pandemic.
2: It's been over two years, strangely. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. Uh, in the meantime, lots has happened. Um, you were right. You got in a lot of trouble. You, you caused a lot of news. Was it last October, November time, whenever the Van Graan news broke and you were like, "I mean, well, okay, that's fine. Okay. But off you go. That, that was the time to, to off you go. And the results are that the team at the moment is playing like they're rudderless, like they don't have someone making big decisions, that they don't have long-term thinking in what's going on and their identity of the team is difficult to discern at the moment.
2: Uh, yeah, i yeah, been right, there's no joy in any of that now I have to say but um, uh, look, it's, it's been interesting when I watched, uh, actually if we go back just to the game last weekend first because we kind of get this wrong often I think because we can get caught into a monster conversation, which we will at the end of it. But my overwhelming sense there was a bit of sadness because I I thought we were we didn't have a huge amount of structure or shape from a monster perspective. But there also was a joy of watching a load of players that uh, were enjoying themselves, which unfortunately for me happened to be in blue. Um, and I thought Leinster were fantastic. They played incredibly well. Um, they they still will play better. Which um, my people are saying was the best they'd played all season. I'm not entirely certain about that, but I felt that they, when they needed to, for and for me, the the uh, the best part of the game actually was when Diolande scored, and you said, "Okay, there's there's a, there's there's maybe a, a hint of a possibility." And Leinster ramped up the game for about seven or eight minutes, and that seven or eight minutes was just fantastic. It was superlative stuff. But it was at the pace and the speed and the accuracy um, that just, uh, you said, okay, that's the end of that, that little um, false dream that you had there that that would change. So, look, I did think Leinster, and I actually when I look at Leinster, um, uh, I would tip them for both the competitions that they're in because I think they have that capacity to do it um, uh, I think they have a seamless nature to the, to the play. Um, the, the games they've lost is when they've made huge numbers of changes um, and then they've been put under pressure. Maybe they've taken a couple of things for granted. But when they make three or four changes and the core of the team, and it doesn't matter which core of the team it is, uh, they tend to play incredibly well. So when you looked at that team and you looked at who was sitting on the bench afterwards and you said, what's going to happen in the second half? Didn't look like anything else other than Leinster were going to take it go away from Munster in the second half. So I think I do think you have to put that in not as a caveat but as a, a statement of fact that they're in a very good shape. Um, so if we go to Munster, then unfortunately the uh, the comparisons just make for a very uncomfortable view. And Munster are forever, I think, held up in that mirror compared to Leinster and Leinster who are in their pump. So. And things are not great in Munster, so things don't look great then when you do the the straight comparison. And the amount of losses that Munster have had to Leinster, the amount of wins Leinster have had over Munster, whichever way you want to put it, um, means that it's incredibly uncomfortable viewing.
0: It felt like eighteen months, two years ago, the gap was closing, and you would have, for a home game, you would have been able to talk yourself into making the case for why Munster could win the match. It doesn't feel like we can do that at the moment.
2: Well, when I when I look at it um, at the moment, and I will, I'm, I'm going to just say that um, Munster's um, imports, you know, the big name imports have. So Diolande has played well, and he's played well in some of the big matches. Orji um, uh, Nyman being injured the whole time. Um, Jenkins, even though I didn't agree with the Jenkins signing, has been injured the whole time. So there's you're looking for big name players and big players to have an impact and you're trying to bring young guys through and I think that has started to happen since the start of the pandemic that some of the younger players are getting a chance partly because there's almost an embargo on bringing in more players and you have to give young guys a chance but um, I, for me it's uh, like was there any growth in the match the other day I looked at the, the game the other day I thought Munster started pretty brightly Um Especially in the opposition half, uh, they looked to to use the ball an awful lot more. I wouldn't have said I could fully understand their structure. Um, it seemed still a bit haphazard, um, but um, but they were trying it. But it's not from there. It's from the 22 to the opposition 10-meter line. Munster kicked the ball away, and when the ball is kicked back, Munster fullback catches the ball, runs forward 10 yards, and kicks the ball away. There is no Um, there's no there's nothing else happens it's a very very south african manner of playing but it's a south african manner of playing when you have a huge bunch of forwards and you have a hard kick chase and you absolutely cream someone on the halfway line and some of the discipline around that place uh, has meant that they've given away an awful lot of penalties and that's actually that was pretty much the game the other day you know and that's very frustrating i at a conversation, I'd um, uh, Rafael Ibanez was over. we we were doing a thing last night, um, and we had uh, we just a whole variety of interesting conversations of of the transformation of what um, um, of what France went through over the last number of years, and it was really interesting. I, it, like it's not quite what you would of thought in certain cases but just on that example of kicking the ball kicking the ball to a full back and so you're talking another hooker same as myself another <laughs> My has been hooker same as myself and um, he, he been he's general manager the, of the French team and he he said yeah but you kick the ball to the winger and then somebody has to link it with the winger that's the first thing that that was thought you have to always pass it to somebody and then support them because if you are concentrating on catching the ball in the air you don't have an appreciation of what else is happening in front of you. You can't because you have to have your eye on the ball. So um, you have to have wingers coming back in around, taking the ball, and then you can see it. Then you have people who are looking elsewhere. And um, But that doesn't seem to be within it. Now, that's only one thing, but um, uh, it's funny. I was looking at his idea of trusting youth and that idea himself and Fabien Galtier and Laporte's conversation with them of how do you go about um, doing it. And he said, there's a huge risk with the idea that you may lose a load of matches and you may damage some young guys who, who are only then used to losing. But they said, well, we've a fairly extraordinary group and we don't concentrate on what they're not good at. We don't even talk about what they're not good at. We talk about what they're great at. And let's see if we can start building that in. But... Everything was to do with preparation, 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 preparation about about going to do it. He went down and actually he wanted to have a different, a look at different culture. And he spent four months down in New Zealand as a coach of a junior team just to see what the whole thing was like, to try and understand could they start to do things differently.
0: They put a long-term plan in place with a long-term goal. connected to the fact that they're hosting a, a World Cup and yeah. again there was a crop of youngsters who were coming through which you know you can't say Laporte and Galtier and even I said uh, the connection in creating but they're, they, managing those is actually very difficult sometimes you'd have to say that the Munster Academy is going in the right direction after a yes. long period of time the the, the kids who we saw and we, we talked about this during the week in the Heineken Cup played br- brilliantly and yeah. yet Chris Clute got the start at the weekend and it, it we've talked about him all weekend and it seems unfair that we're signalling him out but it just for me is a signifier that this coaching ticket and Clute is joining them next year this this coaching ticket is not the right thing at the moment for, for Munster like Peter Mahoney is saying it's not ideal when a, when a player like Peter Mahoney is saying it's not an ideal situation you know that it's it's difficult for him to say that because he's so loyal and like, I feel like they 've wasted hit the last four or five years of his career chasing this South African dream, which has not led to a, a new Munster identity, a modern Munster identity
2: yeah so i don't know that, i don 't think that they 've wasted it I think that 's for me that wouldn 't be a phrase i 'd use. Um, what I would say is um, that under razi erasmus they they really steadied the ship and they got themselves into a good a good place. Um, I remember having conversations with Johan at the start, and he had a very good plan um, for it. And he, 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 of what he looked, what the, he would expect the team to look like, and how it would go. And uh, for me, um, there's a, a couple of issues with with, with it. Is that I, th- I think if you're if you're talking about Monster properly, you need you need Monster to be the vast majority to have come through Monster, so. Um I I think some of this may be of um that Van Gran isn't that type of coach and he wants to play in a particular type of way. Now I've never a huge fan of any coach that says this is the style and this is the way you have to play, because I think you need to use the players that you have at your disposal and get the most out of them. Um but I would look at um like a lot of professional like professional rugby everywhere is whatever it is now, 27 or 8 years in, is still trying to find its feet, still trying to understand what it is and where it is. Munster um, um, success, and everybody hates when you hear about the monster success back in, in the 2000s, but that was actually built on uh, on a very good link of local uh, senior rugby teams in Cork and Limerick. That's what it was built on. A lot of players that had come through the amateur and had passed on their culture to the players that were in there, it was a lot of that stemmed from that and then stemmed from some of the players that came in from overseas. John Langford, who I mention all the time as having one of the biggest influences on what culture was in that team. He was extraordinary. Um, he was world-class in attitude. He wasn't a world-class player. He was a fantastic line-out operator, but his attitude was, was incredible. He had a huge impact on other people. Um, but like, it almost looks like a time, and I've said this for a number of years, actually, but that you need to almost have a summit for all the stakeholders in Munster which is the schools and the clubs and the senior clubs and the professional game to try and figure out is there a Munster solution for this Munster problem because it can't just be that um, everything is stacked in Leinster's favour and it can't just be that it's uh, kind of almost biased uh, in favour of, of Leinster. Leinster is a bigger population, it has a lot of private schools um, which have a lot of private coaching so players get really, really well coached. And, and I've watched a lot of schools rugby over the last number of years, and up until about 15 or 16, they're incredibly similar, Munster and, and Leinster. In that next step afterwards, there's a very significant jump. And But that's the nature of it. So we don't have that, that full structure in Munster, but it's trying to get all the stakeholders together. So if we were only talking about there being a bit of a problem with Munster at, at the head coach level or... Um, but, I, but there's arguments going on for referees and a whole variety of different things that have been going on for, for the last while so I, like it needs to to say can you can you actually I'm not saying break the whole thing up but can you have a little look and say can we work together in a straight line for this so um, there's difficulty for players moving from club to club or moving from school to school I mean it's as, as if let's try and make this quite awkward so I would say in terms of preparation which was the point that I had with Rafael Ibanez The preparation was, like, what can we do now? Like, there's a huge rush now, colossal rush. We need a new coach. Let's get a new coach. Let's get him in as quickly as we possibly can. I don't know what that clamour is for, because actually what we need to do is have a coaching ticket that has a coaching mindset to improve all the young kids that are coming through the system and that's, so I would take my I would actually take my foot off the pedal for that and it could well be, and I think Graham Rowntree has to be part of that, and he could well become that guy but um, because of the manner in which Van Gran had, had agreed to a contract and then revoke, or then um, took uh, an, a new opportunity to get out of it, it took a six month clause which I still think is a ludicrous clause to have in your contract um, but but because of that, we're floundering for a, a new coach and it's a dreadful time to get a new coach. So I would say just slow it down because this has to be the absolutely right appointment, whatever that is. And no, like, like we're all, like I used to play but I haven't played for a long time. I couldn't tell you whether these coaches are good coaches or, or not, you know. so. But the next coach for, for Munster and the next coaching ticket for Munster has to be something that maximizes the quality of some of the young kids coming through and then um, uh, really supports that. I mean, I, t- I talked to Ian Costello. So Ian Costello has has taken over the academy. Um, he's got a decent plan in place for the pathway. That's what needs to be invested in. I mean, that's the future. So we can talk about all the issues of the past, and we can talk about all of those things, but actually, if you're looking at, at monster rugby, you want to you want to tidy it up with a structure. It doesn't mean you win, actually, but oh, it please. means. But I think it's something please. you can stand for, and. Something you can stand behind.
5: Like that's really interesting. That the pathway that's happening at the moment it is very different to the one that produced the team of the two thousands. And like, I had to go back to that Wasps game because it's only one game. But like if you look at the, the makeup of the squad that day, I think Daniel Okeke was the only Limerick-based player or Limerick the player who came through the Limerick system, and that's been used as a stick to beat Munster with. That you know hurling has won the battle in Limerick, whereas you look at someone like Patrick Campbell who played that day, who was an underage GEA star with Cork. Yeah. Munster, Munster have arguably won the battle in terms of winning somebody like him away from GEA. so so good things are. Happening as well as the, the geographical shift that, that appears to be happening as well.
2: Uh, well, I would I would think so, and I have to say, since um, Ian Costello has come back from Wasps, um, and now there's been a kind of view that Ian Costello maybe should be in the coaching ticket. I, I would res- I'd, I would say resist that with everything you have, because he has the opportunity to build. Um, the The next generation, maybe the next two generations of players coming through, and I think that that is the most important piece, and it has been for a while um, and uh, and the it 's the support that he needs, I suppose, in terms of financial to make certain that um, they can build that out properly because Leinster have done elements of that, but Leinster also have an incredible funnel of players coming through that are almost professional from schools um, and I'm, and I'm not complaining about that. I think that's a fine, it's a fine system. Well,
0: you could ape it a little bit. Instead of spending money on uh, big name imports, if you were to invest that money in the coaching at that level, the 16 year olds for the schools, except paid for by the Munster branch, that might be a way to, to short circuit that. I just want to go back to one thing that in, uh, we brought it up on, on Monday and uh, Kean brought it up yesterday in the show. Munster wanted Van Grant to stay. He rejected yeah. them. So Munster wanted what they've got at the moment. They wanted more of this. The Munster hierarchy decided that they, they saw what Van Graham was doing and they were like, Yeah, that's exactly what we want. That's a problem.
2: Well I think that is I actually do think that is a problem and I'm but equally well when and for for me and it's not like I know Johan, so this sounds pers- it's not personal and I, I don't of course it's personal because he's gonna say you're you're criticizing, but it's not it's that's the way he coaches. So I think we know that. So then it becomes that you have to say, well, why is that decision being made further up? Um, I, I looked at a, a comment that um, uh, Victor Matfield said that Johan had complained to him. I don't know, it's kind of hearsay after hearsay kind yeah. of in a way, but that Johan had said that all the best players go to Leinster. Uh, no, and it's, it's very hard to try and do this without being almost xenophobic, but... The idea of having most of the players coming from Munster, I think, means you have a closer link to all the Munster fans. And I think Munster fans will be far more forgiving for um, young guys com- coming through the system and not being perfect at start, you know. And and I think that there's an element of that that needs to kind of happen. And that it can't just be the fact that we can take players that, co- that aren't... Um, that are rejects from Leinster or, or that people who want to get another chance I think it's. I've no issue with those players playing um, but I think our core should be driving it from Munster and if you, if I go back to that reflection again back in the 2000s that Munster team had world class players but a chunk of them were Irish and a chunk of them were Munster um, that's I think that's actually where it sits now it takes a period of time to go and do that and, and Are people willing, as supporters, willing to to take the view that actually this may take another year or two years to try and get a chunk of these guys through, and we could go through some really really tough times. But we can see a discernible um, monster way or culture or whatever it is that 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 suits. So I would. So for me, the thing for me is uh, with Johan is that I don't like the style of rugby and it wins a lot of matches but i don't know that it necessarily wins the big matches so so for me that's part of the issue and whether the players are good enough or not for that but um so i would have said if we were being honest that last weekend even though it was disheartening showed that there was a, there was more willingness to try more but i still feel we drift back into one out runners 10 yards from the line which works sometimes but we do it too often and we kick the ball away and I every time we kicked the ball away to Leinster last week they looked dangerous it, it, sorry
0: is this a is this the crisis point then or like because it, it feels like you, you said the next the next coach is going to be hugely important and I, I get the point about the structures and, and they should definitely have that summit that you're talking about and, and engage as many of the stakeholders as they possibly can and say, here's our plan for the future. But that's the hierarchy's job to do it. The, the next coach's job would be to make the team as successful on the field as they can within the parameters of that plan. Um, you're saying cool the jets a bit on, on the coaching decision to the point where you can get more available coaches at the end of the year. Is that what you're thinking?
2: Uh, I, do you know what? I, I don't know. But coaches often crop up at different times, right? So if there's none at the moment... Um, like, there's, I'm not saying we shouldn't we don't have to go on an interim solution or anything like that and people say God, that's not right well if you just need to make like it's David Nusifora and and the Monster Board have to get their head around who is the person that they can get but it isn't let's give the job to someone who can do it. They have to really define what the job is, and the job is not. you will not have a checkbook to buy players from overseas all the time. And I always think Munster should have a couple, actually. And I've always said it. I'd like them to be retired from international rugby so you can get the best out of them when the Irish guys are away at camp or whatever it is, or on those weeks that are a bit different, you can have that influence around. I think that's something that you're looking to try and do. But... um, but I think the coach has to know that there are limitations within the Irish system. There, there are stru- structures that are used which Leinster manage incredibly well. Um, they have the depth to do so. And I said it was seamless earlier on. It isn't that seamless with um, with, uh, with Munster. But I also think that there's a lot of players that have been brought in to play for Munster that haven't been developed through the academy system. So... Like it's, it isn't a perfect storm, and it isn't I, for me. It, it it isn't a crisis yet, but it isn't a crisis because we're expecting some decent decisions to be made, and and it's very I hard to. By s-
0: the people who decided they wanted Van Gran. Yeah, well, yeah. That's the that's the, the
2: no, but I but again, I, it's, I I would have said that Van Gran at the start was a good follow-on from from Razi Erasmus. And um and you can't we can't go with twenty twenty um uh rear view vision, you know. It's
0: No, but they gave him a new contract. No,
2: and I know, and for and so for me I would have said I don't know if you remember what we said it uh and, and the conversation we had in October, it's time to, to it's time to trust the the youth a little bit more. It's try maybe to try and play a little bit more. I mean I'd love to see all those young guys you talked about um the Wasps game. I'd like to see all those guys been given a run. I mean, if I if I looked at the team I wanted to play at the weekend, I actually I did it this morning in the car. Um, um, which of course I can't open my phone, but there you go. Um, but it was different because um, like I don't want to throw everybody out. That's not, that's not it either. But I, like I looked at um, having like which sounds like heresy in, in some respects, but I'd put Carberry at fifteen because I want what it can be something that changes the way Munster play Carberry daily Earl's at 13 even though he's you know he'll fit in there and he'll do a job for you but I think you need a bit of an extra spark D'Hallende at 12 um, either um, uh, Hayley or, or Zebo on, on one wing I'd have Healy at out half Casey at scrum half um, I'd have Kendalyn at 8 and I, I thought he I actually think he is a joy to watch um, and I'd have O'Mahony and O'Donoghue in on the in the back row. Klein, Witcherly, Witcherly again in the front row. Archer, Scannel. Um You know, I. That, why not? Well, it's a good mix. Well, it's a good mix, but it's and also you've got a really strong bench. You have a strong bench then, and you have like you have a lot of guys that are in there that can do some decent stuff from the bench. And but it's to. So there are players that are there. Some of those players have played well this year, and um, so I look for me. I I think it's why I I, I was so uh, vociferous uh, before Christmas was after the the the, the game um, in Wasps, where youth was given its chance and delivered. No, there was a lot. That, that doesn't hold up that you have to pick them all the way in, no but and it doesn't but at some stage you do have to make
0: well what do we have we don't know what we have because we never we never try so
2: but so for me I still go with the idea what's best what's what's best now and I think best is to take our time and maybe see if if um, give you a chance a little would be what I would be saying
5: is is the RFU making the appointment the right thing for Munster? Should there be more of a Munster influence on a Munster decision ultimately?
2: Uh, I th- again, when I talk about a summit, it's to try and say, uh, right, can we have, not transparency, but can we have a conversation where you can, you can, uh, we can understand where a, a lot of the different needs are within, within the game in Munster, within the structure in Munster, within how it's done and how it's dealt with. Um, so, the RFU—it's like when uh, we definitely discussed this when we did the State of the Union a while back. Then, when the RFU, when the, when COVID happened, the RFU were not found wanting, you know. And I'm watching a lot of clubs in the UK who hemorrhaged money who were suffering quite heavily and the, there's a salary cap that's put in now which is having a drastic change in in how english rugby is going there's players leaving fafta clerk is leaving sale as of this morning this this player is kind of moving all over the place because they have to hit hit their salary cap um uh, there was the RFU put a support structure in to make certain that clubs would survive and so for that i, I don 't think you give money unconditionally i think I think you know i think it 's fair and right that they have a proper input within it because it 's funded mostly and like like rugby survives on international monies there 's other monies that are brought into it, but rugby survives like all the clubs in the u k lose money you know they 're
0: the, the counter-argument is, of course, that the the teams providing the international players... Of course, of course it is. They're the ones. And so, therefore, you know, no, you would expect is, that they pay back because it is. that's, and they t-
2: no, that's d- their funnel. I'm saying they should pay, be paying back, but I'm saying they should have a say. Yeah, it's so, a symbiotic thing. Yeah, absolutely. And so there has to be that those levels of conversation. Well,
0: on that point, right, is there anybody in the Irish system at the moment who could take the Munster job and would, who you would say would go... And be an improvement on what we're seeing at the moment. People are texting in Andy Friend, and like you know, it would be terrible for Connacht to to lose Andy Friend. I think because he's done a, an excellent job there. And the difference between that team when he has his internationals and when he doesn't, it's like he gets punished in a way for being really good at his job. Where his all his best players get taken out of the team, they get hockey. The best players come back and they start winning again. It's like yeah. it's almost as if the you know, it, it, literally, he's getting punished for doing an excellent job. But somebody like him, or could they in any way entice Lancaster and say? We think you're one of the most important coaches in our system and we have a succession plan that we need to put in place. You let's like is is that even
2: I think that's right a, I think that's about? incredibly uncomfortable for everybody and I do think that Lancaster like actually if I if I look at Lancaster system forget about all the schools and all that um, um they had uh, their outgoing CEO has been involved for a long time and has um, I think has played the good corporate game that was required, required to be able to do all that and has done a very good job. I think in Guy Easterby, you've, um, again, a very strong rugby um, capability and has been in and around for a lot. They, they mop up as many backroom guys as they can. Um, Lancaster has been an incredibly astute selection as a coach. He doesn't want to be front and centre. He got burned in England, you know, in the manner of being the top guy, and it just didn't, whether it didn't suit him or didn't wear it with him. I, he looks and seems incredibly happy with what he's doing. But then Contoponi comes up, you know, suddenly, so like there's there's a huge amount of serious coaches. Like, I think Leo Cullen doesn't ever get the credit that he deserves as an incredibly calm and steadying force as captain, and then to to. Um, whatever his title is. No, it's
0: a truly great Irish rugby career that,
2: that, yeah, no, that Leo Cullors it's, it's, put together. It's, it's, but, and it's an ideal route for, for, for that and it fits the bill for it. So, but I would be, actually to the point you asked, are there people there that could help within it? Um, the requirement is, if we put the rivalry aside and we start thinking Ireland and Ireland only, um, it does require... Stronger teams, just than Leinster. It, that's, you need that. You need that. You need so, what are you
0: saying about Lancaster? If you if you owned, say 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 you were the owner of Munster, and there was a, a coach there with one of your main who isn't the who isn't hasn't got the main gig, would you be like, I'm just going to offer him the main gig and see what happens?
2: Yeah, so that's an interesting one. I I think he's been, but I again. So what I would always say. So I'm, I'm not not answering it. Right. What what I would always say is. <laughs> Yes, you are. Come on. No, no, I will get to it. Okay. But the, is But the, when you bring people in, it makes certain all those support structures are around you. So Stuart Lancaster went in with with a, a effectively a human shield um, in Leo Cullen in front of him. And he's been allowed to go and do what he does really well, which is coach young guys. Would he be good for Munster? You're dead right he would. Of course he would. Um, I think to cause an unbelievable stink. Yeah, but, but that's, I that's do think the, we. That's what I d- they should be trying to do, isn't it? Like yeah, you know, it's yeah. But I like I've even looked within the idea that we have lots of coaches that are in the international setup. Like we need to make certain these things are th- that these teams survive. There's no benefit to Leinster, as an example, if Munster got down the tubes. You know, there just isn't because that they need that's the rivalry, the, they that's need the, the stuff and, that, yeah. that, builds it, that builds it up. So. Like whether you you put additional pressure on the national coaches to come and help in an interim period of time until we get whatever it is the right thing. But of course, Stuart Lancaster is he's a coach of coaches as well, and he is. Yeah. Um, and he is.
0: But I don't know if they're thinking like that. That's what that's my my concern is that like I don't I don't the transparency issue is real. We don't know what's going on. It's been four months since. Van Grann announced and the only person who's really publicly said is that Roundtree that he's interested in and he said it in the Red 78 podcast and fair play to him I, I don't think he should be in any way tarnished by what's happening at the moment we've seen Andy Farrell transform Ireland's playing style despite the fact he was in under Joe Schmidt. you know it's very possible that he could be yeah. uh, somebody who puts the, the coaching ticket I think him.
2: he's very well liked and I think um, uh, I think he can be part of the solution whether he's the main solution or not if he was he would need three or four coaches that are incredibly good at building skill sets
0: yeah so you can break the bank get Mike Prendergast back get a a few others get some kind of dream team going where you know oh yeah
2: all right But with all the best will in the world we're watching it from afar but we're not stuck in the midst of it so we don't we don't know no we're allowed to dream aren't we
0: yeah well I mean Munster should be dreaming it's one of the best that's the last point just to finish this up it is still a brilliant job it is one of the most important Irish sports (laughs) institutions and so much of Irish rugby is invested in Munster being good. That's why. That's why we should all care about this.
2: Well, if we were to go and and uh, go out to the airwaves for prospective appliers um, um, for this job and say, if you turn Munster around into a winning team, I think your your coaching ticket is set for the future. You know, and all the coaches that have gone through the Munster system have. Bought into a lot of the good things of it, have made changes or haven't made changes, but they've moved on to to very good jobs afterwards. So it's
5: even the ones who haven't done such an amazing job have got yeah
2: yeah. <laughs> but Monster don't want to be a stepping stone to no. anything, and I think it's no. very important that Monster get to build. I think to build on the on the youth system on what what Costello is is trying to enact um, and try and build it properly for the future and. and so that's, it goes back to us dreaming, you know, but it, like, I go and look at this weekend and still dream that Munster have an ability of turning over um, Exeter um, because they have that ability, yeah. you know, and so I, that's that's an intangible, but, you know, I'll still grasp for it if I can. Well, that's sport, nice
0: that yeah. sport. Keith, good stuff. Thanks a million for that. Here's Great to have you back with us. We're going to have more Masters build up on the way. First, here's Owen talking to Ireland star Lucy Quinn
5: you watch other players as well, or is it just yourself that you watch?
1: Yeah, no, massively. as men's football, but also when, women's football. You, you're always watching YouTube videos and stuff. Someone that I really like to watch is Denise. Um, she'll you know, take the mick out of me for saying that. But those sorts of players um, that you watch on the ball and what they're doing, and yeah, I think it, it helps you learn massively because yeah, you feel realistic. You're not too far away from that, and you can kind of use what they do in their game.
5: She's not here, so you can say it. So what, what do you look into when you watch Denise O'Sullivan?
1: I mean, sometimes I'll just be on the pitch with her and I'll just find myself standing and watching when I probably should be, like, running or making, like, a supporting angle. But, yeah, just players that get on the ball and just ultimately have complete control of all the players around them, whether it's she's, like, using her body to shift different ways rather than actually manipulating the ball. Um, Yeah, it's just fascinating to watch and... Yeah, she'll get a good, good little ego boost out of that one now. Because
5: we we don't see it, and what we do see in in the games is is pretty amazing from her. But what are you seeing in training that the rest of us don't see?
1: Yeah, do you know what? In in training, it's even more special because she, obviously you're put in certain situations within training drills that maybe we don't get to as often in the games um, so with her she's yeah she's constantly chipping goalkeepers step overs selling people creating goals and then she's got the ability to transfer that into a, into a game so she can go 90 minutes with a lot of defending work and she gets that one chance to hit the top corner and she'll hit it and i think that's what makes her world class
0: right Uh, it is time for us to give you another opportunity to enter our competition. Dublin street artist Aix has teamed up with EA Sports FIFA to design an exclusive Dublin City kit for FIFA 2022. The kit, which features bright visuals, graffiti style effects and his individual tag, will be available in FIFA Ultimate Team from April the 4th to celebrate the release. We want to give one lucky fan a limited edition Aix City kit jersey designed by Aix, along with a copy of FIFA 22. All you have to do He's go to the -the off-the-wall TikTok, comment on any recent video with the code word PIRLO, that's P-I-R-L-O. Make sure you follow us too, so we can message you if you're the lucky winner of that brilliant FIFA 22 prize. John Duggan is with us for a very special edition of Virtual Insanity. John.
3: You have entered Power Drive.
6: Um, I, in I, your life, have you ever seen a preview like this?
0: <laughs> uh, right. Take it away. I was going to say that I do remember one Easter Sunday, Bernard Langer winning it and talking about the Lord rising and him rising in the same
6: day and being like, <laughs> wow, Jesus. <laughs> well, my Easter Sunday is going to be pretty cool, but um, this Sunday is not Easter Sunday. Oh, that's what so I was just it's thinking.
0: It's like you, you've been, you've been uh, living the life of a Spartan.
6: I've been shrinking in the wash. I've been in the washing machine every night sleeping there, so... It's been an unusual experience.
0: Um, and, and, but you can't have the massive celebration on Easter Sunday if you tip a winner here.
6: Uh, yeah, I can. I can wait a week and then and have that massive celebration. Like what, You've just got to celebrate life, whatever happens here. Uh, so I don't know what you want to do, guys. You want to talk about the tournament. You want to go through the Irish players. You want to go through my picks first, what you want to do. You take it away. Um, okay. I think that we're seeing... A side of Tiger Woods that is uh, very much human and I think he's really endearing himself to everybody. It's just brilliant to see that um, for all the pips and all the uh, artificial incentives that they might try to uh, generate interest in golf, that there is still only one person who has that natural aura and that is Tiger Woods. And to see him tee it up tomorrow at Augusta is going to be pretty amazing.
0: Do you think there's anything in the whole Mickelson's not there, I'm going to ride back in and save golf that is like, you know, when, when the rehab was too sore for him to do that he was like, oh Jesus, if I could just make it back for the Masters,
6: that would really sick and fail. Well, I think the relationship with them has always been uneasy. I think it was dislike for a long time. Uh, I thought it got a bit warmer uh, in the last few years because ultimately it, it became clear that Woods was you know, clearly the best player. Like Mickelson is the second best player of this generation, it is, in a way, sad that Nicholson's not there. I think more, though, it's about Woods and his son. I think having his son is is now... He's in his teenage years, is he like 13 or something like that. And his son is playing golf. I think that's a big part of, of Tiger being back. And uh, he just wants to compete. And I, there's only so much time you can spend, I suppose, rehabbing every day and being in pain. Even if you're in the pain, you might as well go out there and get the adulation of the crowds and, and go there and tee it up tomorrow. So, look, I, I don't think he's going to win. Uh, he might have a good round or two, but I think the biggest challenge for him, as he outlined in the press conference yesterday, will be the walk. It's very hilly terrain, 72 holes, it's tiring, it's pressure. And I'm sure there's a lot of down rehab to be done as well. So
5: He wants to show his kids that he's good at golf. I mean, all they remember from their childhood, if he's not good at golf, is topless Santa with the sunglasses on. It's like, kids, I'm actually good at this game. Might have been 25 years ago, uh, but uh, like, I mean, winning at 2019 Augusta would have been their first time where they were like, Oh, okay, we've actually seen this, we've seen dad win a major.
6: Yeah, and as many times as he can have that experience, I think he's going to try. He's 46 now. Will he be there in 10 years' time playing the Masters competitively? Probably not. So, how many does he have left? Four, like, how many good summers do you've left in life? Uh, four to five. So, that's Tiger. Look, it's the Irish lads, um, we'll get to two of them in a moment because they're my picks, but the other two, Patrick Harrington, I think like he could have a good day today, uh, tomorrow. He played well at the Champions Tour last week, he's 50 years of age now, he says he's got a bit of a knee injury, he hasn't been there in seven years, but uh, Podrick is most, one of the most intelligent pe- people to ever play the game, so he can always plot his way around. Seamus Power, uh, hard to expect him to win as a rookie, but I do think he's got an excellent short game. and. I, I just hope he enjoys it, and I'm sure there'll be a big water for contingent supporting him. I went through all 20 of the, the top-ranked players in the world last night. So I was going through a, like, a line in each one, so I don't know if you want to pick one, lads. Uh, so
0: when you were doing this, right, yeah. you picked the world rankings. as I, I presume the world rankings and the betting are very similar for, for a tournament like this, are they?
6: Yes, they are, uh, but not necessarily because my headline tip is 5th in the world, and he's about 11th in the betting. So uh, there is a. Well, let's start there. What, yeah, wh- okay. Why the difference? So, what, what, who is it? Patrick Cantley, uh, as everybody would expect if they follow this at all, is my headline tip uh, for the Masters. So, Patrick Cantley is 22 to 1. I'm just going through the odds here like you can get a, like got to go each way folks. There's only 91 players in the field. If you rule out the rookies that aren't going to win, if you rule out the amateurs, if you rule out the old timers at like Sandy Lyle that oddly you're not going to win the tournament. You're into about the mid 60s. A regular tour event of about 144 people or 156 people. So actually this is a losing week for the bookmakers. This is why virtually I'm betting more than I usually do. Don't use do this at home please just do a euro each way. But I actually think there's value this week. Like, you're back in players to be finishing the first nine, ten, or eleven. Patrick Cantlay is 22 to one for 20 each way of our virtual money. Look, he's just an an unsexy pick. He's, a, he's, not a, he's an unassuming guy. He's a quiet guy. Um, people might say he's boring. I don't think he is. Um, and he also hasn't played that well, maybe the last three to four tournaments. So what? Like, this guy won the FedEx Cup last year. He won four times on the tour last year. He was four times in the top 10 at the start of this year. On all of the statistics, he plays really well. Um, Actually, when you compare his last two rounds in 2019 when he nearly uh, challenged Tiger and then the first two rounds in 2020, he was 20 under par at the Masters. He does everything well. He was in the Butler cabin 10 years ago as a leading amateur. He took two years out of the game. Like you're talking about woods and comebacks, he didn't play for two years with a stress fracture in his back. Um, his best friend died in a hit and run. He was right beside him when that happened. To come back and uh, be the world number, like the top player in the FedEx Cup and the PGA Tour Player of the Year, is incredibly resilient. And I think his mental strength is going to be a huge factor in Patrick Cantley contending this week. I think if, to finish in the top nine at twenty-two to one each way, I think is a strong bet. And he's my of all the big players. He's my headline pick this week. I don't know if you want to uh, ask about that or whatever. But um, Thomas Peters is my second pick. Um, I tweeted out in January that I felt he was a dark horse for the Masters after I watched him win the Abu Dhabi Championship. Ooh, um, big price. He's 80-1 to 1 for 10 each way. Like Thomas Peters like he is so naturally talented. He was one of the top college golfers in America. I don't think he likes to travel. In 2016, he turned up at the Ryder Cup as a rookie in Darren Clark's team and was the top European point scorer. Then uh, he went to the Masters as a debutante the following April and finished in a tie for fourth. He hits it a mile. He's good with his irons. And he's back in form after a couple of years in the doldrums. Uh, he's back in form. He's won twice now in the European Tour this season. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, right,
0: I'm seeing Thomas Peters at 110 to one yeah, on yeah, Bet365, yeah. but I think they're only paying eight
6: places. I'm yeah. going ten places. So
0: what? So what do you do? Do you take the bigger price for the eight places? Or do you take the Shorter price for the ten places?
6: In this instance, in this in this instance, I'm going to go for ten places because I just want that bit more security. Okay. It, it, and you're willing to make that sacrifice? I'm from willing to make for that sacrifice because I th- still think I think Thomas Peters should be 50 to one. He's 80 to 110 to one places. I think he's a very much a value bet this week.
0: There's a couple of bookies I've never heard of on Checker that have them bigger than that as I'd, well. I
6: don't trust those bookies. I, I, not, I don't trust them. Yeah. And I, 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 you know, I, Fair enough. Better people you know. Exactly. So Thomas Peters has got the talent to win this. Like, Is Thomas Pe- Peters going to wilt under the pressure? He could miss the cut but is he going to wilt under the pressure? No. I don't think he is. And that's why he's clearly my second pick behind Patrick Cantley. I think he's a fantastic prize. I backed him last Saturday 100 to 1. That's number two. <laughs> Uh, number three is Rory. Like, people, oh, here we go again. You're sorry,
0: uh, sorry to interrupt again, right? Because he's on, he's on Betfair Exchange at 123 right now. I don't know what the story is of the exchange. Well, well the Betfair I
6: mean. Exchange, for, remember, you, you, is only win only. There's win only and then there's top five and top ten in the Betfair Exchange. Okay, okay. So, you know, what you're using the Betfair Exchange for, if you're going to get into the technicalities of this, is to trade. So if Thomas Peters ends up in a playoff or he ends up leading on a Sunday and he's 3-1, to one, you lay it off. You hedge your bets like a stockbroker.
0: Right. And you don't do any, do you do any of that for, for the Masters or anything um, like well, this? Like,
6: like Scotty Scheffler, remember Will Zadatouris and Scotty Scheffler, we took them earlier this year. I laid them off because they, they both reached playoffs. I laid them off for significant profit. Right. Um, Zadatouris, remember Luke List One we had Luke List as well. Oh yeah. So I, I laid off Taurus for half my money. So that's why the whole point of you know, if you want to have a crack on somebody in the exchange, you can get two, three hundred to one, get bigger prices. The whole point should be to trade, not to just leave it there. So when they when they
0: get down to like single digits, yeah,
6: yeah, like layoff. yeah, you got these big players like with big money that that might be trading on like between seventy and fifty to one or whatever. Um, the whole point of tipping Rory at 18-1, to 1, and this is where 10 places, is that Rory's been in the top 10 six of the last eight years in the Masters. There are definitely legitimate concerns about his approach play, about his mentality, about the career grand slam, about all these kind of things. But if you look at six of the last eight years, at 18-1 to 1, finish in the top 10, if you finish in the top 10 again, you make a profit. That is the rationale behind Rory being the third pick this week. Yeah, and I, I,
0: I look, I get it. The, the backdoor top 10 from Rory McIlroy yeah, no, where he it's, shoots it's, it's a 62 on the final day having been completely well, out of contention. That's that's on the cards. Absolutely.
6: And that's why it's about profit. It's not about winning and losing. Of course you want to, have to tip the winner. That's what we're here for. But it's also about profit. About me finishing ahead of the virtual money as I am at the moment and I was last year. How concerned are you about missing the cut last week? Me? Uh, Rory, no, not at all. Rory, uh, the, the actual stat here, um, uh, I was here like really burning the oil, and the one thing I r- wrote down beside Rory McElroy has won four times in the PGA Tour the week after missing the cut. Okay, so uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. To the, me. Uh, the bigger worry for Rory is his irons and his wedge play. Um, the rest of it, actually, the conditions are good this week, and the high ball hitting could, you know, I think Rory in wind and Rory in bad conditions, and you know, I think good conditions this week could help him. Okay, Shane Lowry is the fourth one at 40 to 1 for four each way, a fifth of the odds of first eight places. Lowry, I think Port Rush is a huge thing for him. And I think that winning that by six shots has freed him up. He's playing really well. He was second at the Honda. He's very good on the approach stats at the moment on the PGA Tour. Uh, top 15s of the Players' Championship, the Valspar Championship. Uh, 11th in strokes gained approach, as I said. 21st last year. I think he's getting to know Augusta a bit more. Um, put it well at Oakmont when he nearly won the US Open. I think Shane Lowry can definitely contend this week. I think he's comfortable in this Sunday arena. Uh, the fifth one is Mark Leishman. He's the experienced horse here. Players who continually go back to Augusta and play well. He's seventy to one for four each way. Thirty-eight years of age is happy with his game. Uh, has been three times in the top ten, including a tie for fifth last year. Uh, what lost a playoff at the Open Championship and has also won big events at the Farmers Insurance Open and the Arnold Palmer Invitational. So he knows how to win. He's a six-time winner. All the focus is on Cam Smith, but maybe Mark Leishman might be the Aussie. And the final one at 90 to 1 for 4 each way is Siwoo Kim of South Korea. This guy is ridiculously talented and he's very temperamental. Broke his putter last year in the second round. Won his tour card at the age of 17. Won the players at the age of 21. Um, is really good off the tee. Doesn't have that many weaknesses. Good short game. Was tied for 13th in Texas last week. Won last year on the tour. Is a bit of a dark horse. Has had. Um, Three top 25s of the Masters and was tied for 12th last year. So Siwoo Kim, Mark Leachman and Shane Lowry. These, these are in the bracket of those kind of mid to high range each ways. Rory, the whole rationale there is that he finishes in the top 10. If he wins, fantastic. Wonderful for Irish golf. Thomas Peters, I feel very strongly, is a very good each way bet as my number two. And I'm going to stick with Patrick Cantlay, who I think is vastly overpriced at 22-1 to 1 with the bookies and then even 27-1 to 1 on the exchange Um for a guy who was probably the hottest player in golf only about a month or two ago
0: right um well that that's they're the tips and um, we'll talk about some of the top 20 in the world oh and you two have been doing your own augusta deep dive
5: this is the important stuff and um, this is the the look at what you can actually buy on the course at augusta national so say for example if you've just dropped 10 grand on a ticket at augusta national cash it doesn't matter if you eat enough food On the course, you will essentially make that money all back because it is so bloody cheap. We've got two big pieces of news this year going into the concession stands at Augusta National 2022. The first piece of news is that the sausage biscuit is out. This is off the menu. This has been replaced with something that is arguably better. You've now got the breakfast sandwich, which is fried egg, sausage patty, bacon and American cheese on a brioche bun. It'll cost you three dollars. That is €2.75, which will get you half a jambon in a Dublin city centre deli counter. So that is Whoa. exceptional value for a full breakfast roll, essentially. So this is a, a net win, I would say. That one coming off and that one going on. And the Augusta concessions menu scores. So, yeah, it's
0: just basically candy floss, by the way. It,
5: but it basically is. It's absolutely amazing. The, the second piece of news, and this is bad news, this is a hit that the menu simply cannot come back from. The famous... Georgia peach ice cream sandwiches are gone. There have been supply chain issues, and it means it cannot be produced in great enough quantities for the tournament. This is obviously a great scandal, you don't need me to tell you that. And the Augusta Chronicle have been on top of this scandal. And I quote from their website Jordan Udi, who made the trip from Farmington, New Mexico, described the news as a total bummer on Monday afternoon. Golf.com has also been in on the news. Uh, In losing the ice cream sandwich, Augusta National is losing a piece of itself, they say. Uh, Another quote from their piece. Oh my goodness, you're kidding, one otherwise pleasant woman yelled when she heard the news on Saturday at the Augusta National Women's Amateur. So the Georgia Peach ice cream sandwich is being gone is an absolute scandal before a ball is even hit this year in the tournament just to give you a rundown of the, of the full menu at the price of a pint is going up in Dublin as we know it's also going up in Augusta right now you've got a domestic beer for $5 on the course last year your domestic beer would have only set you back $4 and not long ago you would have got a domestic beer on the course for $2.75 so they're rising the cost of drink on the course if you talk about some of the other drinks you can get you can get a coffee for $1.50 a chicken biscuit sandwich by the way is, is one fifty, and then that brings us to the sandwiches the famous sandwiches your egg salad sandwich for $1 $1 50, your Masters Club sandwich for $3 your turkey and cheese on wheat for $3 but of course the famous Augusta snack is the pimento cheese sandwich which is still at the cheap price of $1.50 Now, last week Golf Digest did a great piece Uh, Sam Weinman of Golf Digest did a deep dive on the pimento cheese sandwich and I hadn't realised this but uh, up until 15 years ago, Augusta National used to import their pimento cheese sandwiches from a South Carolina caterer and then they decided to, to make it more closer to home and Augusta changed to a company in Augusta who tried to crack the recipe. So there was this guy, Ted Godfrey, who Golf Digest also spoke to. He tried to crack it and he said, we tried over 33 cheeses and we still couldn't get it right. So it took him six months. He did eventually get it right and Augusta National was back on track with his pimento cheese. He was asked by Golf Digest for the key ingredient and he said, I can't tell you. Pimento? So Augusta uh, Augusta were happy with it, but then... Billy Payne decided in 2012 that no, just having someone in Augusta is not going to be good enough. We want someone on Augusta National within the confines of this course to actually be producing this pimento cheese. So this guy lost his business. They asked him for the secret recipe and he said he'd give him the secret recipe if he got a couple of badges for the course. And they said, nah, you are ran, thanks. And then in 2013, the first year without this guy, Wright Thompson, blew the lid off this thing. He said... The pimento is different. There's definitely more spice and something. think there's more mayo. The consistency has changed, sometimes leaving soggy bread gummed up around uh. a big blob of the spread. from the outside. It seems like a combination of legal liability issues and stubborn pride as if the Masters concession staff trying and failing in a rare moment of fallibility to recreate the same recipe that generations of golf fans have enjoyed. It's still $1.50, but it ain't what it used to be, it seems.
6: Soggy bread. Mm. I'll be texting my sister. She's over there, as I said, yesterday, today, and giving her that you know, update. Hopefully
0: she has tickets for today.
6: Yeah, today and Friday.
0: Okay, great. Because um, yesterday Nathan was saying they got called off because of the the weather.
6: Yeah, a washout. Look, folks, if you're going to get involved in this, never gamble more than you can afford. I'm a pro in my own mind uh, at this, so that's what I'm doing the, the 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 tactics and the strategy that I'm doing here. So don't uh, don't go mad. Um, yeah, look, it's it, it, it's going to be great. You know,
0: the other top twenty interest of people of interest to you who aren't, you You aren't tipping, uh, did you go through that top 20 with the intention of knocking them out or just as a, ooh, this one could be a live threat to me here?
6: Yeah, the, uh, the, all 2,346 words of the preview are now on otbsports.com and on the OTB Sports app. I respect, I respect, you know, I respect you. It's like I'm a mafia. Uh, but Xander Schauffele, I can't have you this week. But Xander Schauffele is somebody I respect. Just doesn't win enough. Four times only on the PGA Tour. But he's been nine times in the top... Uh, 10 and 18 majors and he was tied for second and tied for third hit it in the drink last year when challenging a deckie. I respect Xander Shaffala I also respect Justin Thomas with Bones Mackay Phil Mickelson's ex-caddy on the bag uh, great approach player 14 times a winner on the PGA Tour no problem with getting it done uh, John Ram is not putting well enough for me at the moment and he's kind of, there's a bit of anger there. there. I kind of, John Ram was kind of his press conference yesterday was a bit strange. He was talking about like Justin Thomas getting dissertations from Tiger and Tiger not giving him any advice uh, on the golf course. I found a bit of a strange press conference. Look, you've got to respect Cameron Smith and Scotty Shepherd the way they're playing, but it's just hard to win and peak all of the time. This is all about peaking and, and all of the stuff I've read over the last week, there's this narrative, well, you know, it hasn't played well in the last couple of weeks. It, it doesn't work that way. There are storylines here that we can't foresee and sometimes you need to go against the grain on the storylines. Like Kadeki had disappointed so many times after promising to win the Masters and then he turned up last year and won it. I think that sometimes people can get too narrow about the statistics and the strokes gained approach and sometimes if this is about, like having watched a lot of these over the last few days past Masters, a lot of it's like it's going to be won between the years and that's why I'm comfortable with the likes of Cantley, who is an ice-cold killer Thomas Peters has got all the talent. Rory can say maybe not but the top 10 that's the rationale there. Shane Larry's definitely capable of winning this. Um, what about James Power because he's a rookie yeah. he can't win? Uh, there's that. I think it's just experience. I don't think it's because he's a rookie he can't win. Like Sam Burns could win this. Um, it's just hard. Only three rookies have ever won it since 1934 and obviously the first one is because of the first one Horton Smith. I just find it difficult to see Seamus uh, turn it up and winning this. It takes a while. It takes maybe about Six to eight tries. You can even see Shane Lowry's performances have slowly improved over the years in that his best performance was last year. Rory took a couple of times to, to get his head around it before he then really contended. So, look, he's got a great short game. But the, the nuances of Augusta, even speaking to Keith Wood outside, like the nuances of the slopes and, and, and hitting in the right areas are so pronounced that you just don't see them on television so no I can't see him winning it Alright
0: anything else you wanted to keep an eye out of for the future one last question sorry y- yep. you were talking there about um, Hideki turning up and winning it are you somebody who in the middle of the tournament will look at where people are and see if you can spot somebody coming from behind or are you exclusively uh, Wednesday is when I make my bets and the rest of the week I, I watch and enjoy
6: uh, I think there was only once in my life when I did that uh, and so I didn't have the money on the Thursday in the back pod to Carrington to win the Open on the Saturday morning 33 to win a new 1 and he won. Uh, so that was 15 years ago and that's why it was 15 years ago no in no, Algeria, I would stick to what I stick to your guns because if you start getting involved and you start getting back in 25 golfers because you, of the ebbs and flows of a Monday round and it doesn't work that way the tournament they say it only starts in the back nine on Sunday and that is completely true don't get don't uh, mess up your mind around it stick to your guns I'm going to decide whether you follow my advice or have your own advice this is only a guide um, but uh, like you just gotta follow the, the 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 kind of the key things here. Ex- like an elite player um, would, is probably going to win this. I think Bubba was the last player ten years ago who wasn't an elite player to win this. So you have to expect an elite player to win it. It's it's just stick stick to the obvious. is what I expect. And we know that at the moment that the 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 depth of talent is so great in golf at the moment that that look. I think we're going to hopefully have a great week. All right.
0: John Duggan, good all stuff. Right, take Thanks care. very much for that. You can get uh, John stuff on otbsports.com and, of course, presenting off the ball on Saturday on News Talk from one as well. It's six minutes past nine this morning. Uh, Anthony says, Lads, next week I'm going to be watching from the in laws in sunny Montevideo. The four hour time delay will let me skip all the interminable hours of Gaelic football chat. <laughs> <laughs> what could
5: he possibly be talking about? All of our uh, Gaelic football slots are very uh, well put together and well thought out.
0: I'd like to go to your way.
6: Yeah, so I. I think it's going to be probably the host city, isn't it for the World Cup final yeah, 30,
0: in 2030? Yeah yeah, that's definitely something worth going to see that part of the world. I in Buenos Aires when the peso was tagged to the dollar and everything was ridiculously expensive um, and it was not a great place to be There was a lot of tension in the air so I'd like to go back and kind of um, see what Uruguay is like, which was just there like you could kind of could
6: a boat
0: could you could have poked a ball
6: Did you see Boca or river?
0: Uh, I saw San Lorenzo de Almagro Okay uh, Versus River Plate It was the Cuatro Fantasticals So it was the um, Javier Saviola Juan Pablo Angel That team Great Mad Football Properly means Something to People in a way That's visceral
6: Worth going to see Oh big time is on the bucket list Of many things On the bucket list
0: uh, Adger, come off it You're almost saying We have two good coaches here Friend in Lancaster Steal one That'll fix Munster Munster had Felix Jones And Jerry Flannery in house They both wanted more input Says O'Toole On our YouTube comments uh, Pat Lam or Andy Friend Type for Munster Says G10 No chance of getting Pat Lam back now Because he's got one of the best jobs In, in rugby With the billionaire owner Who's investing in the team um, look, I, I don't think it'd be terrible for Leinster if they were to lose Lancaster, but maybe the best thing to, is to keep him in the Irish system. There's an opportunity here for him to be a head coach and then all of a sudden you've got succession plans and depth when it comes to the Ireland job if England decides that they want our coach.
5: what about? But uh, we, we, you were pretty big on the whole Joey Carby going to Munster ruins the whole Munster-Leinster rivalry thing. Would that not dilute the rivalry even further? A coach going from one province to the other?
0: I think a coach and a player are totally different, right?
5: He knows the inside secrets of Leinster. He's made them been a huge part of taking them what they were over the last couple of years taking that and just copying and pasting it to a rival like Pep Pep going to
0: Liverpool well this is the type of thing that would happen in football all the time where you would take a a managerial rival and uh, or somebody in a coaching ticket like Arsenal taking Arteta this is different though, isn't it? I think
5: it feels like Lancaster has a far bigger role at Leinster than Arteta had at... Like, I mean, is, is this actually a promotion? Like you say, it's his head coach role, but like is, is Lancaster's current role exactly what he wants to be
0: doing? I don't know. Do You'd have to ask him. Like, I, I, I would suspect that at some point he wants to be the main person in charge again and like would easily put together a coaching ticket of very qualified coaches from all around the world who would want to work with him on the basis of the quality of work that he's done over his time at Leinster. Like... What I, would you think if that happened, as a monster fan?
5: Oh, from Munster's perspective, it would be great. So I think, as, so, as Keith said earlier, it would leave a, a serious stink in Leinster, and uh, they would not be happy with. And there'd be a massive rivalry again. There would, but also everybody it, showing up. But, but the then, the uh, Aviva is full. Tolman is that was, full. That was my point about Carberry Initially, it was like there's a, this actually stokes the rivalry that Leinster weren't happy about this guy leaving. That that that's that, that was the whole thing about the player moving. What I think would be interesting is if if this happened. Leinster wouldn't be happy with the IRFU for greasing the wheels on this move because they are the kingmakers in all this. And it would be interesting to see what knock on impact that would have if that, not that the relationship is sour or anything like that, but that, you know, they've been, uh, their chances of dominating Europe have been lessened as a result of a, a unilateral decision.
0: Yeah, but I mean, Leinster's ability to generate new players is endless, as we have seen. And, um, It turns out money and investment in coaching really pays off in the long run. Mm -hmm. Who knew that was going to work out the way it did? So, you know, why why not do this? You're saying Leinster are the only reason to stop doing it. Why not do this? Is um, is this realistic? Is Is it is it
5: unrealistic? I I think so. Why? Why? So why is it such a why is it such a
0: radical idea to take somebody who is is not in charge and put them in charge in a different situation? Why is that radical? Well, I'm
1: not saying that's, it's, that's the problem. I'm not saying like, it's conservative. Like,
5: can't or, do that. Or, or, I'm not saying it's not. Like, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being radical. I'm saying that it's just. I would be very, 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 very surprised if that actually happened. Very surprised. So, like, those. It, it's definitely radical. I'll, I'll give you that. But it's,
0: it's not even that radical. Yeah. It isn't. Somebody within the uh, system. A new job comes up. You can go for that job.
5: Yeah, like i say. Like I think that it is. It's interesting what that text should say about Felix Jones and and Jerry Flannery we, do we, it kind of feels like we still don't know the full story there as to, to what actually happened what exactly well look the, I, the, the I think um, Flannery
0: is very very impressive and Felix Jones is putting together an unbelievable body of work like, and Erasmus could, talks about him in glowing terms and Erasmus, sorry, Erasmus picked him on the basis of what he'd seen at Munster the fact that they're not part of um, the solution at Munster is an indictment of the situation at Munster like Munster Munster has lost its, has lost its way Munster has lost its way. The leadership at Munster is not good enough when you compare it with the, the other aspects of Irish rugby. And they need to look at themselves and examine themselves and go, well, what did we get wrong? How, how do we lose our best young coaches? Why are they all working for other teams all around the world and doing really well? Mm. Especially someone like Flannery, who is off the Just base. won a championship. Yeah. like Went in and won a championship really quickly. Got promoted like about 15 times. Goes and wins a World Cup, Felix. There's like a, one of the most creative backs coaches is at um, Rassing. All of them, Munstermen. we got a coach at La Rochelle. The Irish coaching ticket has a has a great I- Irish Munsterman there. Well, I guess this
5: circles back nicely to Lancaster. I guess the, the overarching feeling I would have is that Lancaster going to Munster would feel like a step down for Stuart Lancaster. Whereas, and I think that kind of taps into a lot of what you're saying there as well. Like, it feels like certainly a higher element of risk when you're coming from some of those other teams That, it's that they're a, it, Sorry,
0: from Stuart Lancaster's perspective it would be a bit of a risk but he would be going in and everybody would have to do what he says because he knows what he's talking about He would be the one who's like telling everybody this is how it's going to be mm. and that's exactly what, what they need They need somebody who knows what, what, what things look like when they're going well what things look like when they're not going well and what the difference is and how to fix it mm. Like... I, I like I just get the feeling
5: though it's kinda of like saying, you know, Manchester United could could use Jurgen Klopp. I know it's not because he's in the system, I know it's different, but it just kinda of feels that there is a, no, there's a gap between these
0: two teams. Lancaster is as important as Leo Cullen okay, to the whole setup. I, the fundamental misunderstanding there is actually it it's like somebody going from uh Red Bull Leipzig to one of the other Red Bulls because it's all owned by the same people. I get that. I get that. That's the fundamental difference here. Like or it's the city group, like yeah, Patrick Vieira could easily come back from Palace to Manchester City because, you know, he's gone. And he's gone, and he's in the system, and he's one of ours. And it, like, ostensibly, it is, and so therefore, you would you would assume that the IRFU could, um, could make it so that it is a, a more senior role. Mm. Like a lot of those City Group teams and Red Bull teams don't
5: necessarily play against each other, and there is like a there there there, there isn't. Okay, it's
0: not it's not it's, it's, it's not as straightforward,
5: but it's still, I mean they do play against each other in the Champions League. But it's just a it's just a constant conflict between. Two teams that should be in constant rivalry and two teams that are actually yeah, being funded from the exact same place. Yeah. So it's like warring brothers or something like that. It's and it's hard to know what exactly the, the relationship between them should be when it comes to these playing resources and coaching resources.
0: Sibling rivalry uh, is one of the great uh, inspirations in the world. Yeah. <laughs> like.
5: Yeah, it really is. So I don't know.
0: Uh, Monster fans give us your thoughts hashtag OTBAM you can leave a comment in the YouTube stream Munster fans give us your thoughts uh, I'm, I'll shut up now because I see I don't really <laughs> want this to happen 14 minutes past 9 OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day uh, here's what's on OTB Sports Radio today OTB Gold is Catherine Switzer running the Boston Marathon at 1 o'clock Koi gig from 3 our retro panel is telling it like it is uh, OTB goal is James McLean at 6 in the show. We'll be live with Joe tonight from 7, keeping a close eye on the Champions League games. Up next this morning in OTB AM, Owen oh, has been speaking to Ireland's Ruisha Littlejohn.
3: OTB.
5: AM. Okay, we're here with uh, Rusha Little John, just mentioned to you there the the player of the match situation here. I mean, let let us know before kickoff who you think is going to be player of the match for for Ireland next week. What's your early prediction?
7: It's probably Katie. It's probably Katie, because Katie's mum's been onto them already, so yeah, I'm sure that'll be already pre-planned, but hey, we'll see what happens.
5: (laughs) Is Katie's mum a bit of a tiger parent?
7: Yeah, of course she is, yeah. She's going to beat me up next time she sees me, but no, she probably loves it. She's getting the mentions on here here, so she'll be happy.
5: (laughs) Is is there a little bit of a a head-to-head between Denise and Katie, about like who's actually going to pick up more of these Player of the Match uh, awards.
7: Um, I don't actually know. Look, like, they're, they're probably they're so driven, yeah. um, and they probably do. They pr- probably would like them. But I'm actually getting annoyed at Katie right now because. Um, I've had to fill up a box of her player of the match and, like, just awards, and, like, over the last year she's got so many that have been sent to the house. I've not got space for them, do you know what I mean? And they just collect dust, so I'm trying to box them up and put them under the cupboard right now Until we get our own place. I might allow her to put them out. So, yeah, I'd be happy if Denise gets more right now just for that reason. Just they're dust collectors, so I don't, I don't need them right now, yeah.
5: To, to declutter, basically. To
7: declutter, yeah. I'm quite clean and I'm quite organised, so if it doesn't look neat and tidy, it can't be there. And in this new place we're in, it's quite small, so there's no place for them. So.
5: Another way to combat that is there is a fixture coming up, Baston Villa against Arsenal, that could uh, potentially, you know, scope her one medal.
7: I mean, obviously, you've probably seen the goal she scored against Villa last time. I was injured, actually, so I was in the stand watching it, and um, I'd seen our goalie kick the ball out, and she's actually great at kicking the ball. She's, got, she's left and right foot, but she like, I must hit this one. It lands right to Katie, and she lobs, lobs her keeper, and yeah. And then the celebration, I was just like, ah, oh, go away. But I mean that's it that's what she can do she's quality so that's what she can do yeah, yeah. Um,
5: when it comes to Villa are you in a situation now where you're looking up rather than down
7: yeah um, obviously we got three points at the weekend so I think, it's, I think we're safe like we are safe but we'd like to get more points on the board but after camp we've got a tough run we've got United we've got Arsenal and then um, we've got Birmingham so it's, it's going to be tough but it'd be nice to get a few more points on the board and um, just keep pushing up the, up the table
5: yeah. Next season, then is it going to be targeting mid table? How, how do you, I guess, go from a, a team who are battling relegation to to, to looking towards mid table? Because what's getting promoted is pretty good as well.
7: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look, the teams coming up, obviously Liverpool coming up, we know a few of the girls too. It's quality in their squad. So, but like when you come into this league, it takes a bit of time to get adjusting again, getting used to. We found that um, ourselves. We're in a good place, but I think next season, you know, when you look at our squad on paper, it's actually there's so many good players in that Villa squad. Um, so I think, for, for me, I think it's, it's easy to say, not easy to say, but I would be looking to um, be mid-table. I just don't see why that that is not achievable with the players in the squad. Um, I think that's a good place to be setting our targets.
5: We can't be going into a season looking at let's battle for relegation. I mean, that would kind of defeat the purpose of sport, wouldn't it?
7: Exactly. Look, look, different te- teams and different clubs are in different situations, but like I said, with the, the squad we have right now, we we can't just be looking to survive. Look, we've survived this year survived last year, so it's time you, you've got to start climbing up the table when obviously we've got a wee bit further up the table this year and then next year we have to push on again. So there's no reason why we can't be mid-table. Yeah,
5: uh, In the context of next week, Rusha I was interested in chatting to you about your time in Norway. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, the, the countries are all different in Scandinavia, but is there a theme that you've noticed uh, amongst those three Scandinavian nations that all three of them are in the top 15 in the world at the moment? When you were there, were you looking around saying, right, OK, this is just a little bit of a cut above what, what I've seen before?
7: I think the thing with the Scandinavian teams, they've always been maybe ahead of some nations like ourselves in terms of how athletic they are. They're all athletic, they're all athletes, but they always have been. I think that was one thing that I would say is almost more physical, but I think we've now got up to speed with that. Well A lot of the girls here are now, are now full-time, are playing in professional environments, which makes it a lot easier to be at that level. Um, and then obviously the, the Scandinavian teams have been there and now they, they play good football too. Some of them are quite direct um, but it's like Sweden's going to be tough they're, they're not number two in the world for no reason so it's going to be a tough game, we respect them uh, but it's exciting mm-hmm.
5: So the technical aspect isn't the issue at all?
7: If I'm, if I'm being honest I don't, look at, um, I don't look at the Scandinavian teams and think that they are more technical than ourselves I think when you look at our squad and you see the players that we have like there's some girls that can put the ball in the air and just bring it down in one touch like we are technical too so that's, that's not what I fear, no
5: and then when it comes to the athletic differences, how long does that take? Like, Say, for example, if somebody's playing uh, amateur football in Ireland, is it one season, two seasons if they've got a WSL move or is it years and years of work on that level?
7: It probably depends on the individual. I think it depends on the individual... Um for myself, it took me probably a few seasons to get up to speed. There's, there was times when I look back now, we, the girls in the squad all have a, a laugh and joke at some of our own pictures, and I'm probably carrying a good few pounds. I shouldn't be. Um, but at least I didn't get pushed off the ball, you know. But <laughs> I couldn't shift. so. Um, but yeah, look, we, we've all came a long way. I think we're all athletes now ourselves. Like I said, we're playing in club environments. It's, it's full-time, that's our job. So it's a lot easier to keep on top of that stuff. And then you've got the education around you with like your sports scientists. So... Like we know what we should be eating. Like ten years ago, we, we might not. You, you might have thought, oh, just have pasta, but then you were having pasta for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and that's not how it works either. So, um, like we're more educated now too, and um, we, we know um, we know what we need to do. So we're in a better place.
5: And even on something like diet, something simple like that, is the Republic of Ireland set up and Aston Villa at a pretty similar level at this stage?
7: Yeah, look, the the Irish team now we're in a, we're in a very good place. We've come a long way in the last few years. Um, it helps, obviously, with the girls being professional too at their clubs. That obviously helps; it goes hand in hand. Um, we've got the respect now with the FEI. We've got that good working relationship now. We're in a good place. Uh, the values, the back is and they're helping us to try and push towards you know qualifying for a major tournament. Um, so yeah, look, it's good. We're we're in a nice place. We've come a long way, and we still got a long way to go.
5: How much have you looked at the bigger picture than the qualification? I guess Sweden is literally in an island on its own in this uh, qualification window, which helps, but I presume it helps motivation if you're thinking about the bigger picture and the other pictures that are also coming down the line.
7: I think, look, it's it's still achievable. That's it. We're in a good place. We're still within contention of qualifying. If we can get to a playoff place, that would be great it's going to be tough going away here but like I said there's no point in us being camp if we don't believe we can get something out of it so it's going to be tough and we respect them but we're equally ready ourselves and you know, we know it's going to be tough but I think we've got a good week ahead of us, good training, execute the game plan and we'll see what happens and then obviously we've got we've still got Georgia away we've got Finland again so again tough games, it's not easy going away from home I think the Finland game is at home in Tala yeah. um, so that'll be nice, hopefully get a good crowd in and it'd be nice to um, you know, get something out of the game so it's tough, it's not over yet, it's still within our hands so that's, that's why there's a good buzz I think about the, the team right now
5: I imagine, like obviously the Finland win was just such a massive win but how big was also scoring 11 goals in, in one game? Like, I mean it's still just three points but like it kind of said to a lot of people okay this team isn't one that's going to scrape past some of the teams that are in and around it rankings wise this is a team that's ready to mix it with the top, top 20 teams in the world
7: yeah, definitely. Look, it was good for us as a team, as a squad. It was great for players to score goals. I was just saying um, earlier, I'd like Denise got a hat-trick, that's great. She deserved it. She's such a good player and she's so valuable for the team. So it was nice to see her get the rewards. Um, it just, it's just a good feeling good factor for everyone. It was nice for us to go out and, you know, I think, it, I can't remember, it was under Sue Ronan we'd played a game and I think we'd scored a good few goals, but it, that'd been years ago. So it was nice now under Vera, like we've been working hard, obviously, we you know, we're a very defensive team when we have to be but it was nice to see that what we're working towards we're trying to get better in possession we're getting better getting higher up the pitch so it was nice to actually punish a team and put so many goals by them so it was really good for everyone
5: yeah I can imagine listen Rucha, good luck next week great
0: chatting to you thanks a million
7: thanks very much cheers, cheers. O T B AM.
0: But Sharisha Little John conversation with Owen at the Castlonach Hotel yesterday, ahead of the Republic of Ireland against Sweden next Tuesday. You can hear that on OTB Sports Radio. It's got an early enough kickoff uh, around about five in the evening. We'll be starting our coverage, so make sure you are tuned in for that. Uh, Paul says Munster seem to be in the same state of flux as Manchester United structurally. A good comparison. FJ says, Lancaster would have zero interest in stepping down to Munster. The job doesn't even appeal to the likes of Raj anymore. And Adrian says, spot on. Oh, and it would be a step down if Lancaster moves. It will be to an English team. I'm saying we could prevent that. That's what I'm saying. If you wanted to uh, be a well-run, slick organisation, you should definitely make the call and say, is this of interest to you? These are what the terms would be. You could pick your own coaching team. Uh, Right. Dublin street artist Aix has teamed up with EA Sports FIFA to design an exclusive Dublin City kit for FIFA 2022. The kit features bright visuals, graffiti style effects and his individual tag. And it'll be available in FIFA Ultimate Team from April the 4th to celebrate its release. We want to give one lucky fan a limited edition Aix City Kit jersey along with a copy of FIFA 2022. Make sure you follow us on uh, TikTok so we can message you if you're the lucky winner. All you got to do is comment on one of our recent videos with the code word PIRLO, P-I-R-L-O, PIRLO. Um, uh, that's the off the ball TikTok. It's off underscore the underscore ball. You should be able to find it on TikTok easily enough. Phil Egan is with us. Phil, good morning to you.
3: Morning, lads. Uh,
0: we did a good bit on on Liverpool earlier, so we'll come back to that if we've got time at the end. But there's a couple of other things that I did want to talk to you about. Um, the the Chelsea game tonight. Tuchel said he wasn't going to make a drama after the game at the weekend, and like I didn't watch the full game, but looking at the highlights. It definitely looked like it was one of those games where one team scores with almost every chance they have and yeah. the other one has a bookload of chances. doesn't play particularly badly. But this stuff happens in football against a reasonable side like Brentford. Am I not reading enough into it? Am I giving them too much of a free pass? Is this the start of an actual crisis? I th- sorry, Phil. I, th- I think so. I think
5: that's that was the surprising thing about watching the Brentford game back was I assumed that was like Chelsea got done here a little bit. Brentford were way better than Chelsea on Saturday.
3: Yeah, look, I I think the Ericsson signing for Brentford has transformed them. Also, Uh, Raya being back in goal is absolutely massive for them. I don't think it's a coincidence that they've got their form back since he's come back in as well. But, look, this happened Chelsea last season. Remember West Brom hammered them. I know they had a player sent off that day. But he clearly had one eye in this game. We know Chelsea aren't going to catch Liverpool or City. They're going to finish in the top four. So it's all about the Champions League now. They're the defending champions and you know you, you look at the, the team selection look at the midfield they had out against Brentford it'll be different tonight Kovacic will come back in Reese James will be back in and it's look I'm not saying that they, they beat Real Madrid tonight because I think this it's a, quite a, a tough tie to pick uh, I think um, I think it would be a blow for Real if, if Ancelotti isn't in the dugout tonight we don't know as of Just now.
0: explain So Ancelotti at the weekend had Covid is that what yeah. it is so and, and yeah. who was in the dugout instead? His brother
5: was it his son? His son, his son. His son. Sorry, his son.
0: Uh, can you just Ash do Lally that? Junior. Can yeah, <laughs> Ash- just not do him. that? Why not? What? This isn't the mafia. It's not Tony Soprano. <laughs> Sending AJ down to pick the team. It's like what? I was, I was like, hang on a second. One of the biggest no, companies in the world has decided. Oh, I'm not available because of COVID. I'm going to send the son.
3: Yeah, he's well qualified now. Yeah, so we, he's on the staff. Yeah, I
0: mean, at the same time, you know, is he on the uh, staff? Bec- was he on the staff before Carlo got there? Or?
3: Well, Carlo obviously trusts him. He had him at Napoli as well. So it, um, Great. I'm, yeah. I'm, he's given his son a job wherever he goes. That's great. Lord, even if he's not there tonight, obviously that team can run itself. But sometimes you just you just want your, your manager in the dugout. But I said, I, I, I wouldn't read too much into the, the Chelsea result. And they're saying that. Come 10 o'clock tonight if Chelsea are beaten by Real Madrid then people start talking about the the, the Brentford result more but if if Chelsea turn up and do what they did in the Champions League last season where they're so hard to beat and they eke out a, a one goal win and they have that to take to Madrid next week then the Brentford game is forgotten about.
5: Um, the thing we forget about with David Angelotti is that he scored exceptionally high in his pro license courses. Excellent. Uh, the Athletic said he got 137 out of 140 in his UEFA B examination and 13 out of 15 for his UEFA
0: A license. So they are top-notch marks. They're well so, done. Yeah, good. Uh, fair class. enough. I mean, yeah, I yeah, look at uh, loads of the best coaches in the world happen to be the sons of uh, previous coaches, and obviously he's he's grown up in the football industry. But it's interesting that like. You know, at the peak end of the season, unfortunately, the Spanish league has not really put it up to Real Madrid. So at the weekend,
3: probably didn't matter that much. But
0: this is a big game. It's a big yeah. game to just be like, yeah, my boy.
3: Well, and, and that could play into Chelsea's hands as well. The fact that Real Madrid are coasting in, the, in La Liga. You, you kind of think the way Barca are playing at the moment, if there was a say,
0: race, if yeah. there was
3: another five games added on to what's left. Then Barca are just they're like a train at the moment, but uh, they've obviously left it too late. But it makes things interesting for for next season. Um, but yeah, no, I, I going back to your original point though, I wouldn't read as much into that Chelsea defeat as like it's not a, it's not a crisis. I think Chelsea. One thing we've seen under Tuchel is they're so hard to beat in these uh, cup knockout games. I know it's over two legs, but the fact that um, they are the the reigning European champions. I, I think that there's there's a reason, and Tuchel has usually got his tactics spot on. So I think it's a, it's definitely a tough one to call, though. Late stage
0: and Golo Kante is the best player in the world for the month of April and May. That's like the rest of the year. He's kind of like grand. You're like, oh, I'm really sure, sure, is he worth his place in the team? But this is the, these are the games where he comes alive, isn't it? Matter of the match of these two legs. That's my that's my outrageous prediction. Not so outrageous,
5: I'd say. i say it's probably good a good idea that, that that something like that could happen. Like, I mean, it, it depends how much you're, you are looking into Saturday. Like, I'm not I'm not I'm not convinced that Chelsea are uh, would, would have gone into Brentford at the weekend thinking they're home and hosed, thinking that they would have been absolutely fine in the top four. So I still think they need to get a couple of more games. They didn't they know that Arsenal were going to lose to Crystal Palace. They will, of course. They didn't know that Arsenal were going to lose to Crystal Palace, um, and they, they've had a couple of shaky results. But as you say, Phil, there is this sense of Tuchel being an excellent cup manager and yeah. a European cup manager and when uh, and really you play into that the factor of, of Kante and players coming to the ball nicely last season there's definitely a sense they could do something in this day.
3: Yeah and Kovacic just coming back in I think Kovacic is almost like a, does he get the recognition he deserves maybe the fact that he was part of the Real Madrid squad that won the three in a row but wasn't always getting his game and then you know does a bit of uh, does a, gets his loan move to Chelsea but he's, I think he's been exceptional um, especially under Tuchel I think When you're in those tight games, he just seems to have that extra bit of time on the ball. He obviously can come up with a goal. His distribution is excellent. He has that ability to switch a ball as well. Jorginho will probably come back in tonight as well. We know things run through him as well. So the midfield, we know how good Real Madrid's midfield is in terms of the experience it has, but if Chelsea play with a certain intensity, can that Real Madrid midfield hold up for the 90 minutes? I'm not so sure, but... When you've got Benzema in your team, you always have a chance. It'll be interesting to see what he does with Benzema. Obviously, we know Vinicius Jr. is going to start, so will Asensio start? That's one of the other. Uh, Real Madrid obviously won at the weekend. Vasquez played it right back. Carvajal will be thinking, thank God we're not playing Mbappe again because that was a very uncomfortable couple of games for him C- against PSG.
0: Carlo Ancelotti Stuck the thing up his nose, swiddled it around, and uh, only one line on his COVID test. So he Zen. is clear. He is is going to London. Poor David, that was his time to shine. Yeah,
3: and Carlo will get a lovely reception at Stamford Bridge. Pretty Double well. winner. Yeah. yeah, Daddy's
0: home. Time Absolutely. To take he'll
3: over. Over. He'll,
0: uh, he'll have the eyebrow out, and, and he'll, he'll be every chance in the world. He ends up back at Chelsea at some point. <laughs>
3: Yeah, well, they're kind of not too dissimilar from the way the Netherlands go. I don't know if you've seen the news, but Koeman has taken back over after Van Hal takes charge at the World Cup. So they're, they've obviously got a little rota system going on. So um, Carlo must be. Gus Hiddink as well.
0: Koeman was mad getting out when he got out because it was only going to be an opportunity for him to do something really good once with them. I Look, maybe I'm wrong because he, he, got, the, he got the job back, but his reputation is in tatters. yeah. Frank the Boer better kept keep like twenty twenty five clear. He'll be just, in the
5: just needs one gig in so, the meantime. Do you
3: reckon? Take Avakham has one more. One more in. definitely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: OTBM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. What did you make of Liverpool last night?
3: I thought they were very good. There was a little sticky patch in the second half, bit like the the game at the San Siro against Inter Milan, where. Liverpool were quite comfortable and then just one or two little bits of sloppy pay almost encouraged the opposition. But then Klopp, obviously, you have the option of five substitutes in Champions League games, something that will be in the Premier League next season. And he was able to make a triple substitution and it just seemed to calm thing down, things down a bit. But that Diaz goal is the, the icing on the cake. and um, The thing is, Liverpool created so many chances and I said it after the game last night that there is going to be a game this season where they are... Bury all those chances a bit like what happened at Old Trafford in the first half, where everything they touched went in, and it could be Sunday. Who knows? Uh, who knows what team he'll go with? Remember last season uh, away to City, Liverpool made a lightning start where he played the four of them. Everyone was thinking, will he go with Jota or Firmino? He played the four of them, and one thing I know you, you talked to Graham Hunter about this yesterday about Guardiola and his his tactics. He was able to readjust after being absolutely shell-shocked for the first 20 minutes. So if Liverpool are going to beat City on, on Sunday, I think they need a quick start. I, I kind of feel Liverpool have to win on Sunday. I'm not saying if they if they draw that the title race is done, but just looking at the run-in, I think City have a much more favourable run-in. There's, there's not a game there where I think that they're going to come unstuck. Maybe Wolves away, which has to be rescheduled because Wolves will be thinking back to the game at the Etihad earlier this season where they would have felt hard done by with the penalty they conceded and Raul Jimenez being sent off. But okay. Whereas Liverpool's fixtures are a lot tougher. And the psychological blow it could strike if Liverpool go to the Etihad and win. It would definitely be
0: um, significant. Uh, perhaps there'll be a hangover from City after one of the European games if things don't go well. And that is still up for grabs after last night as well. I know you wanted to mention Everton and Burnley or Burnley-Everton tonight. That's in the Premier League. No one's going to be paying attention to it while the Champions League is on. But It's a half it's
3: seven. So we get, you can watch the first half an hour. And it's such a big game. If Burnley win, they're only a point behind Everton. And then, speaking of run-ins, Everton's run-in looks horrendous when you're looking at a team that don't win many games. They play United, they have play Leicester, they have to play Liverpool, Chelsea, Watford, they have Arsenal on the last day of the season. And also, we've talked about this before, they don't have those kind of players that are used to a relegation scrap. So, also this weekend, if Burnley win tonight, they're away to Norwich on Sunday thinking that's a nice chance to get another three points on the board. Everton have United on Saturday at Goodison. I did think if Everton are going to get out of trouble, it's going to be their home form that keeps them up. And we kind of saw that with the Newcastle game where they managed to just grind it out. But uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a sticky moment for, for Everton and Luckily, Frank Luckily,
0: Everton have uh, Donny van de Beek and Deli Alley to look forward to as uh, the hmm. Cavalry as they charge into... Oh, wait, it's going to be a disaster, isn't it? This is not going to work. Michael Keane is suspended tonight as well. Feel good stuff thanks a million for that uh is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day uh, right do we need to do the competition one more time I think we've done it enough um, so our winner is actually Stephen Keenan Stephen Keenan even who's won the FIFA prize. Uh, Stefan is Stephen's son who he's putting forward to manage the team in FIFA 2022 after Stephen caught COVID. We will be in touch. Uh, Congratulations. That was on TikTok this morning. You can join us tomorrow from half seven. Alan Quinlan's going to be with us. We look back at tonight's Champions League action and ahead of the Masters, a rare morning appearance from Joe Malloy as well.
2: OTB
3: AM With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.